בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We are uh, continuing our uh, series of uh, Stamp the Rabbi, where uh, after uh, saying some דברי תורה, some things that we learned this week, ברוך השם, uh, we'll uh, go and uh, give you guys an opportunity to ask some questions, and בעזרת השם הקדוש ברוך הוא will give us the answers. Uh, tonight's שיעור will be for a רפואה שלמה, רבנית שרה בת לבנה. רב אפרים בן שולמית, רבנית לבנה בת שרה, אבי מורי דוד בן עשריה, אמי מורתי דוריס בת ז'ורה, and also for a הצלחה רבה, פמרשה בת ג'ולי, איילה בת מרשה, סמיאל בן מרשה, ספס בן מרשה, אלכסנדר בן מרשה, לואיס בן מרשה, שאול בן פרזנה, אמיר בן שהין, and all of עם ישראל, and all of the righteous Noahis that continue to serve הקדוש ברוך הוא to the best of their ability, each day getting better. each day working harder and uh, succeeding so uh, today uh, I'll give you a little bit of update there's a lot to talk about we're going to talk about a little bit about Pesach uh, cleaning out Chametz uh, of course uh, the Chametz uh, that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was concerned about uh, more so than Chametz uh, that a lot of people are concerned about uh, even though both are important there is of course a priority Um, now, uh, aside from that, before we get into the Yeshua, to give you guys an update, last night we uh, discussed, Baruch Hashem, the uh, big Mesirut uh, Nefesh uh, of uh, going out there and uh, helping Am Yisrael uh, at their uh, very uh, big time of need. Uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, since then there's been many phone calls and messages uh, that, uh, Baruch Hashem, the need is uh, even greater than... Uh, We thought, and we already knew it was a disaster, uh, especially since the, the terrorism in Eretz Yisrael uh, continues to rise. Another, uh, um, another murder uh, happened today. Uh, it looks like the, uh, uh, the second tzaddik, Rav Kanievsky, uh, left us. Uh, the protection uh, that uh, came along with him, the protection of, it, protection of his Torah, uh, left with it. Uh, and this is not something uh, new. We already learned this from the Tanakh. Uh, but, uh, you know, each time that Tzadikim left the place, uh, tragedy followed. Uh, so, of course, it's uh, important for us to do even more tshuva than ever before. Uh, this is why we uh, are very, uh, were very inspired to, uh, to do what we did and uh, put everything on the line in so many words. Uh, and, uh, you know, sent the money and got everything going. Baruch Hashem. Uh, now, for those of you that uh, are, uh, uh, you know, smart in the, in the, in the right way, uh, spiritually smart and want to invest along with us, uh, then uh, you can donate on our campaign, which is uh, bhpesach.org. B as in Be'ezrat, H as in Hashem, Pesach as in uh, P as in uh, Pesach, uh, E as in uh, uh, Ecuador, S as in uh, Shmuel, Uh, a as in uh, Apple, uh, C as in uh, Charlie, and uh, H as in Harry, uh, .org, bhpesach.org. Uh, this is the campaign, uh, and of course, uh, anyone uh, that uh, donates, you'll see over there there's different choices. If you want to help a family just for uh, the Seda night, uh, or you want to help more, you want to help multiple families, all are available. Uh, and of course, uh, this is something that uh, all of us really need to do as one of the big obligations for Pesach. It's called Kimcha de Pischa. But uh, I believe that uh, now more than any other time in recent history, 
the situation is pretty clear of how much it's needed, uh, especially since people really can't use the uh, excuse that uh, they don't have money, uh, because if we uh, look at how much money uh, was uh, donated to the uh, Ukraine campaigns uh, and all of these different uh, you know plans that are out there, uh, it's a uh, obviously people that uh, want to give. Hashem gives them a way to give. Uh, now, one thing as a side note, I would tell you guys. Uh, you know, people ask me about this stuff all the time. Uh, you know, whether this campaign or that campaign is legit or not legit. I've told you guys many times, I don't, uh, you know, uh, uh, double check, uh, you know, and I can't vouch for any campaign other than our own because I know what we do with uh, with the money that we have. I can't vouch for anybody in regards to, uh, to money. Uh, but one thing I can tell you is that I've been around for long enough to know that uh, there's a lot of scandals out there. There's a lot of corruption uh, and a person needs to be very careful. Uh, anytime you see that uh, there was a major tragedy like we've had many of them happen recently where these uh, terrorists uh, uh, are murdering people and then literally within a matter of a few hours there's a campaign uh, for all of the families that were murdered that are raising the money uh, for those families uh, I would be very very careful I would be very very careful uh, before I donate uh, to any of those campaigns uh, simply because it's a uh, it's very difficult, very difficult uh, to to believe that uh, the relationship was already made with uh, between the uh, person collecting all of this uh, uh, tzedakah from people and all of the families, uh, literally within a matter of hours before they uh, lost their loved one in a horrific way. Uh, and again, uh, as much as we'd like to give people kafshut, unfortunately. There's been enough corruption out there uh, that's ignored that, uh, and that I've seen uh, with my own eyes that you have to say something. So again, you have to be smart investors. Don't invest with your heart. Invest with your brain. Uh, the, the money that you invest in Staka is the money that uh, uh, is really the only money you really have. Uh, you know, and from, from our perspective, I could tell you that you know, we, uh, we got in touch with uh, uh, a few of the families uh, that, uh, um, you know, that uh, unfortunately lost a loved one. And this is the reason why I tell you that it's very hard to get in touch with them. We got in touch with a few of the families and we're going to try to raise some money for them as part of the Kim de Pischa to give them some money uh, to, uh, to celebrate the Chag and to uh, deal with uh, uh, some of the, uh, obviously, uh, the, the basic issues. We can't solve all of life's problems. But the point is, is that I'm telling you these things from experience, not because I like to put... Uh, uh, a black eye on, uh, on, vict on, on, on people that don't deserve it. Uh, to, to simply uh, uh, find every other day a, uh, a new campaign is made in the name of all of the victims of a terrorist act, it's, uh, it's, it's already enough. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to believe that uh, all of these campaigns are really going to the sources, just like it's hard for me to believe that the, uh, you know, the, all of the tens of millions of dollars that were donated to uh, to save the uh, the people in Ukraine that are under the leadership of a comedian, uh, you know, uh, which uh, you know it's 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 hard for me to believe the money is actually getting there, and uh, you know just anyone that thinks about the logistics of it. I have a few students that are in different countries, and they all agree with me, saying it's just impossible that this money is getting there. And even if it got there, what would they do with it? I mean, everything is shut down. 
what are you going to send the guy five thousand dollars to go do what exactly the supermarket's closed there's a, a rocket just took it out like what, what exactly are you going to do with all this money uh so again it's a the, the, it's hard to believe that all of the things are as kosher as they sound uh let's just say that and uh this uh, more than anything else reminds us uh how much of an obligation we have to check ourselves to check the chametz in ourselves and see where our tzedakah money is going because if we find ourselves very generous on uh, on speculative situations very generous when it comes to investing into speculation whether that speculation would be literally in a in a some type of cryptocurrency or some type of piece of land uh, that no one's ever heard of in some island or some uh, uh, company stock that no one's ever heard of or it's a speculation in uh, some t- cause uh, and we find ourselves very generous that should not be a, a good sign because it's uh, it's usually it's an indication that Hashem is in essence uh, uh, telling you that the money you have uh, may uh, may part ways with you uh, uh, very soon uh, if you don't do tshuva. And unfortunately, this is what's happening in the world. You see a lot of speculative money going into the so-called staka world, and uh, without really many people spending enough time to think about the logistics of actually how would this money get to the end user, uh, what would they do with it? Uh, again, I'm not saying all of it, but uh, to to believe that every one of these campaigns that overnight raised two three four five ten million dollars uh uh is, is getting to the causes it's hard to believe and again even if if uh, you were able to get the money there somehow how are they going to be able to use it is beyond me uh, i was in the you know in the money business for almost two decades i know a thing or two about money uh, you know and uh, i can tell you that it's uh it's not so simple especially when you have again like i said before uh a not an insult but a reality a government run by a comedian that put the entire country at risk. Uh, so when you have a comedian running the country, uh, you're you're not going to uh, end up very well. Uh, and uh, you know, and, and it's important for us to evaluate, evaluate ourselves, check our own chametz. Now that's what I spoke about last night, uh, where uh, we're talking about uh, the mitzvah of chametz and uh how the the obligation is the night before pesach uh, on the 14th of nisan we are all obligated to uh look and destroy the chametz not just look and find the chametz or not find not just look for the chametz but rather look and destroy the chametz meaning that if you look for it hard enough you will find it you'll find it and of course a person has to say a certain a, a specific blessing uh, before he, uh, uh, you know, looks for the chametz, uh, he has to uh, make sure that uh, he's not uh, busy playing with his phone, talking on the, talking online, text messaging, uh, not even watching a shiur Torah. When you're looking for the chametz, it has to be serious business. Surely you can make it entertaining for the kids. Have some flashlights, uh, you know, and 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 uh, you know, make sure that. Uh, everybody's on uh, is enjoying the whole process but nonetheless it is a very serious job uh so much so that uh, if you look at some of the stories of the tzaddikim and how they looked for chametz literally they uh, they would not uh, if they knew that there was something uh they would not let it go until they found it even if that meant they had to look until three four o'clock in the morning uh it's uh important for us to know that the looking and destroying the chametz is critical 
and then the next day of course we have to burn the chametz it's a blessing that you have to say and as i always tell you guys many times it's much more important for you to understand what you're saying than simply reading it you know when it comes to uh learning torah more times than not it's important for you to understand what you're learning versus just reading it in the holy language i know that people that are new to judaism whether it's converts or balet Shuva, over and you know uh you know exert a lot of energy learning the language and uh and i think it's a from my experience and from what i've learned uh it's really a wasted effort it's a mitzvah from the satan uh simply because it's much more important for you to know the laws to know the uh the, the uh what you need to do in this world much more than it is for you to learn the language itself even though the language does have a benefit uh we're not uh minimizing the benefit of knowing the hebrew language but if you compare the benefit and the priority of learning what the torah actually has to say the halachot the musal the, the the weekly torah portion the gemarot the all the, the jewish thinking ideology versus knowing the language the two cannot compare the two cannot compare and if you had let's say especially if you're a person that's a uh you know a balabayi you you work uh, you can't learn Torah all day. You're not an avrech, and uh, you end up spending, uh, you know, most of your day working, handling family issues, monetary issues, and you only could spare, let's say, an hour or two a day learning Torah. For you to spend anything more than 15 minutes a day on uh, learning uh, Hebrew language is literally bitul Torah. Uh, simply because, again, if you only have a couple hours a day and you're spending half of that time, uh, you know, into learning the Hebrew language then uh, you are making a very very serious mistake because no one goes to heaven for knowing hebrew some of the people that were most proficient in the hebrew language uh, are in, still in gay and will never come out hebrew did not help them go to heaven but knowing the halachot knowing the, the, the what you're supposed to do is uh you know is what brings people to heaven so a person needs to know where to prioritize certain things and the reason why I mention this is because the blessings that you're going to say when you're looking for the chametz, and especially when you're canceling the chametz, when you're canceling out the chametz after you've burned uh, uh, the chametz the day after, in the early afternoon, don't do it too late. Early afternoon, it has to be before chatzot. Uh, you have to say that blessing in your first language, in a language that you understand. Meaning, if you say the blessing uh, you know, that, that cancels the chametz, uh, that you saw and the cancels the chametz that you didn't find uh, and uh, makes it all as if it's worthless and uh, dust if you say it in a language you do not understand what you're saying you have not fulfilled the mitzvah and you have a very very serious problem on your hand okay Pesach it's uh, is, is not a walk in the park Rabotai. Pesach is very extensive a isu chametz is 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 it's, it's karet so it's a uh it's important for us to know that to uh uh to fulfill the mitzvot the right way and not have our ego get in the way of of, of doing the will of hashem so now looking for the chametz is, is is a process of its own but the sages tell us that we have to look and destroy the chametz meaning that if we're going to look for it we will find it and thereby we will have to destroy it because there's nothing good uh that you will find in the chametz not in the uh, physical one and not in the uh you know in the spiritual one now in this week's parasha parasha tazria usually we uh this time of the year we read uh tazria metzora at the same time but because it's a uh, uh shana meuberet 
we're only reading one parasha, one Torah portion, which is parasha Tazriya. Uh, we have uh, some insights to, to bring to light that has to do with our topic, has to do with Moshe Rabbeinu looking for chametz, this generation looking for chametz, uh, uh, the spiritual chametz is what I'm referring to, uh, and also some of the questions that uh, uh, some of the dear people have asked me over the last couple of days that Be'ezrat Hashem, uh, we will have the merit to bring it all together and uh, make some sense of all of it. Now, Parashat Azriya starts off with So the Parashat starts with uh, uh, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying when a woman conceives and gives birth to a male, she shall be contaminated, meaning nida, spiritual nida, uh, for a seven-day period, uh, as during the days of our separation. Uh, uh, and uh, here we see that the uh, uh, sages talk about how when a woman gives birth, the, the biblical tuma begins off right away for the, if she gave a, a birth to a baby boy, starts off with seven days, then 33 more. But with the girl, it's 14 days. Uh, and uh, the uh, Chachamim say it really was supposed to be 14 for both to start off plus more, but because uh, uh, the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu per se, wants the, uh, the wife to be uh, spiritually pure at a certain level uh, for the Brit Milah, he uh, in essence shortened it for the, the male boy because on the eighth day she has to do a Brit Milah. But again, the Tum'ah, the impurity as far as Nida, doesn't stop after a week doesn't stop after a week and in fact uh the uh the is today in the shulchan aruch and the rambam and everywhere else across the board has been accepted the uh the combining of both the biblical obligation as well as some rabbinical uh is that uh, once a woman is a uh, stopped uh, the the bleeding and she has the uh, seven clean days and she goes to the mikveh this could take a month and a half this can take two three months uh, it all depends on uh, your body. It depends on the doctor you went to that I've mentioned in the past. But the point being is, is that uh, the Torah tells us that there is a very important law to know in regards to this particular time of your life where you just, ha- you know, gave birth. Uh, you know, you, there's a very, very big thing that just happened. But at the same token, there are laws to know. There are laws to know during this time. And one of the main things that a person needs to check for is who are they getting their information from? Who are they getting their information from when it comes to the Torah? Are they getting it from somebody that's just uh, looking to be liked, looking to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, have them, uh, you know, uh, agree with with each other all the time, looking for the so-called fake unity that we have in the world? Or you're someone that is true to the Torah itself and is more concerned about your neshama, your soul, than uh, perhaps you may even realize. And what happens is, is that sometimes when people go to multiple sources, sometimes it's because they don't have patience to get the answers, sometimes because they didn't get the answer that they want, sometimes it's just convenience. Somebody's in front of them, he acts like a rabbi, he even calls himself a rabbi, may even have a shul, and you ask him a question, and the rabbi, you know, just uh, shoots from the hip and gives you the answer. And you say, figure, if he's a rabbi, he gave me this answer, uh, it should be fine. 
Now, Baruch Hashem, that uh, with tens of thousands of students around the world, you get to get a lot of questions, a lot of experience, a lot of people, a lot of strange stories. And uh, this is a, uh, one of the things that I've seen in uh, multiple times where people ask uh, family purity uh, uh, questions uh, simply from the wrong people, simply from the wrong people, people that have no Yirat Shamaim, many times no knowledge either. Uh, and they simply give you the wrong information because the Torah speaks about the issues of Nida. There's an entire tractate in the Gemara called Masechet Nida. Uh, the, the sages talk about the issues of Nida, where the Rambam in Ilchot Isure Be'ah uh, talks about uh, the issues of Nida, where if a man is is uh, with his wife when she's Nida, if they're intimate, it's Isur Karet, but it's not just that. Uh, in fact, it's a, uh, somebody says, listen, we're not, uh, you know, my wife just gave birth. We're not necessarily looking to be intimate, but we just want to go back to normal. Why? Well, you know, the wife wants him to hug her. He wants to, hu- you know, he wants to, to hold her hand, take the baby from her. What's the big deal? Well, the Rambam Paskin, Rambam Paskin in Lchot Isurebea, in chapter 21, Allah number 14, that it's forbidden for a man to engage in relations with his wife. In the marketplace and streets and gardens, this is a uh, uh, um, uh, obvious, obvious uh, information that everybody uh, understands. But the uh, the things that perhaps not everybody understands is that in uh, the same Ilchot Isurebra in chapter twelve, in Alacha number uh, eighteen, is uh, not so obvious. Not so obvious. What? That a man is forbidden to embrace that very same wife that he's allowed to be with, but not, you know, not in the open and so on. He's not allowed to embrace his wife during these seven spotless days, you know, when she's still nida, uh, even if she has clothes on. And furthermore, in Allah number 19, that uh, it's, a, uh, it's important for a person to know that... Uh, this, uh, this uh, sin is punishable by karet, and Nida may perform, meaning his wife, may perform any task uh, which a wife would typically perform for her husband, except washing his face, hands, feet, pouring him a drink, uh, spreading out his bed in his presence. Uh, she's allowed to fix his bed if he's not home, uh, but, if he's, uh, but if he's there, then uh, this could be uh, problematic. Uh, she should not eat with him uh, from the same plate nor should he touch her flesh now and this goes on uh, you know with uh, uh, uh with more details that the rambam brings now the point being is is that you have certain things that are obvious common sense you know that you're not gonna you don't have to do anything uh uh, uh you don't have to be a big genius to know uh that uh you know being even with your own wife in the open is, is forbidden but there are certain things that perhaps don't make common sense to the average person where it says okay we're private we're not even looking for intimacy we're just looking for my wife to give me a drink we're looking for a hug maybe a peck on her cheek what's the big deal she just gave birth uh she wants me to pay attention to her what's the big deal the big deal is she's still considered nida and nida is isur karet it's a sin that is one of the worst things you can possibly do to yourself during this life and needless to say after this life now when you are going to ask questions of people you have to make sure that not only do they know these things that i just mentioned 
to to you know like the back of their hand but even more so they have enough fear of the almighty fear of heaven that they're not going to change the truth just in order to appease you because what ends up happening is that sometimes people will tell you something they may not know the information they're not so sure what the answer is and they'll simply you know they don't want to look bad so they'll give you whatever answer makes sense or they don't want you to feel bad because they decided for you that you can't handle the truth so they'll you know change the truth for you and all types of things that happen and just recently i had a multiple uh, uh students that Baruch Hashem, uh, brought children to the world and literally one after another has different issues with the uh the source of information that they have where people are telling them the wrong thing you know in, in one particular obnoxious case uh where uh i love these students but uh, the the people that the yetzara sends them literally are like uh, uh, uh just the most bizarre people in the world why i'll tell you dear student of ours couple that was wonderful people smart people clever people and Baruch Hashem, have you got shamayim so they always double check with us simple they uh the husband went to the uh synagogue and was uh simply asking listen uh in regards to uh nida uh, you know my wife just gave birth but you know she uh stopped uh bleeding already and uh we figured uh you know is it okay uh we've already counted a uh you know uh uh you know a certain amount of time and we figured is it okay for her to go to the mikveh this joker that they asked whoever he was decided that uh you know he's gonna create a new answer for them what did he say listen tonight see if uh if everything is a uh is okay uh you go to the mikveh but don't don't uh you know have any relations together meaning she should go to the mikveh he you know in essence she's ready to go to the mikveh according to this joker she's ready to go to the mikveh but don't be intimate if everything is okay again tomorrow then you guys could be intimate now this rule that he just said was created probably in some bathroom uh was created in uh, i don't know some type of toilet because it's not in the torah there is no such thing the second a woman goes to the mikveh she's 100 percent permitted to our husband there is no such thing as weight there is no weight in fact it is of special importance for the couple to have intimacy on the night the wife dips in the mikveh it's not there is no such thing as dip in a mikveh but just in case don't uh, uh don't go to uh don't be uh, intimate you could just act normal you could hug each other kiss each other but uh wait till tomorrow to see what happens this rabotai uh is is one of the things that really infuriated me because uh not on the students but on this 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 clown that decided to paskin some toilet paper and call it Torah because what is he doing really? Number one, Megale Panim Torah, which is uh, He just changed the Torah, he has no share of the world to come. His Olamaba, if they would have followed him, I mean, he's punished, he's going to be punished anyway, but if they actually followed him, he would have literally had no chance whatsoever of ever recovering because there is no way of doing tshuva for such a thing. Uh, so, because what would he have done? He would have actually led this couple to have a sin of karet. Karet. This is like it's not like a uh, you know. Oh, I fell accidentally and I I don't know. I broke my toe. No, this is oh, I fell and I killed fifty people. Okay, this is this is the magnitude of difference here. 
This guy decided to create an halacha. Say, go to the mikveh, wait till tomorrow. He changed the Torah. Second of all, he led a couple to nearly sin. And he sur karet. And if it wasn't for their yirat shamayim, for their fear of heaven, and them double-checking with me, and Baruch Hashem, uh, being able to answer them right away, tell them, do not listen to this person. This is whatever he's saying. It makes no sense whatsoever. You'll never find it in any book whatsoever. It's literally, uh, it's, it's, it's toilet paper. I cannot insult it enough. I cannot insult it enough. And it's important for a person to know that if you're going to ask these types of questions when it comes to family purity, it's of utmost importance. It was so important that David Melech, David Melech, David Melech Israel, the Melech Mashiach, David Melech, he was the one that would check the bdika to see if a woman is pure or not to be able to be with a husband or not. That's how important it was. That's how important it is to, to make sure that a woman is pure or not pure for her wife because this is something you don't play with. This is something you don't play with. Or other times, at least on a half a dozen to probably even a dozen cases that I've had in, in recent, recent times, people ask me of this new tradition people have. What do they have? Checking the bdika cloth uh, on a, uh, on a uh, phone picture. They take a picture of the bdika and they uh, text message it uh to to some clown and he's gonna tell her if she, tell him if she's nida or not if it's uh, if it's clean or if it's not clean there is no such permission you have to look at the bdika cloth according to allah with your own eye the actual thing not a picture of it because there are specific colors that there is no way in the world that you can know for sure that the camera took or it is is, is correct or not you have to know when you're learning these alachot, you have to know certain colors or not. I remember I told you guys a story. Somebody uh, tried to uh, be clever and, uh, uh, you know, test Rav Gidon ben Moshe. Rav Gidon ben Moshe is the Rav of Rav Ephraim. He's an extraordinary Talmud Chacham, Baruch Hashem, a, uh, one of the head rabbis of Yerushalayim and also one of the head rabbis that have supported a lot of our work. Uh, over the years, Rav Gidon ben Moshe is probably the uh, uh, you know top expert in the world when it comes to the issues of ilchot nida. And one time, a person wanted to test them. Why? People are annoying. They like to test rabbis, especially when they're talmidei chachamim that are very humble. So he brought him a bdika. He says, "Listen, I wanted to ask the rabbi. What does the rabbi uh, think? Is my wife pure or not pure?" Rav Gidon looks at this. He says, "Oh." You should take your wife to the dentist. What? There's people there. What do you mean dentist? He says, this is from her tooth. The guy's face turned whiter than white. Now, of course, the Avrahim that are seeing this, tooth, what tooth? What tooth? But then they look at the guy and they realize it's true. The guy was playing a joke just to see if the rabbi knows what he's doing. So something, I guess, maybe perhaps she, she bleeding from her gums or something or whatever it is. And he put it on a bdika cloth to see if the rabbi can tell the difference between that blood and that blood. Not only could he tell, not only could he tell, but when you understand the wisdom that's required for such things, you understand. You don't play games with this. You don't send a, 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 a WhatsApp picture and say, hey, rabbi, uh, it's okay for me to be with my husband. You have to understand, these things have to uh, require patience, require uh, expertise. And if you do not have the patience, you are going to literally create spiritual chametz 
in your life that can cause a lot of problems so already in the beginning of this parasha we realize that there are laws even at that time when people are perhaps more emotional than usual the torah does not take a break furthermore we go on into the parasha and it starts talking about the issue of tzarat the issue of tzarat in parasha tazria all the different details where if person sees there's a certain discoloring on his skin or in his hair uh different parts of his body and uh, he comes to the coin he comes to the coin and shows him this uh, or calls the coin to come and check and shows him what's called a nega nega so this this uh uh coin after the coin sees the nega what does it say in the chapter 13 it a uh, in a uh, verse number three in the middle of the verse it says something interesting it says that the Kohen shall look at the affliction that's what a nega is or the translation for nega he will look at the affliction on the skin of his flesh if hair is in the affliction has changed to white and the affliction's appearance is deeper than uh, uh than the skin it's sarat affliction and the kohen shall look at it and declare him contaminated see we see something unusual here we see that when the uh you really see it more in the hebrew where the kohen sees this nega this affliction and it's not automatically tzarat. He has to determine. He has to evaluate it, similar to what we just spoke about. How a talmid uh, chacham, that's an expert in uh, the the issues of uh, of, of uh, 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 checking the uh, the nida cloth and so on, uh, has to determine whether the blood that's uh, or, or or stain that's on the uh, cloth is blood. If it's blood coming from the uterus, if it's coming from a injury if it's uh, even blood at all you know there's a lot of different if it's from a tooth you know all types of things a person needs to know there is an expertise that's required for this needless to say there's an expertise that the kohen has to have in order to evaluate the person's skin and determine if this is a spiritual disease called sarat spiritual and physical disease this is not your normal disease uh and like our dear baruch said that uh, this uh this disease although not common it's still founded in the world uh perhaps a uh, uh one thing that i thought about today is that one place in the, this week's parasha in uh the same uh chapter 13 talks about how there is a uh certain indication that a person has tzarat if he has a bald spot suddenly on his beard and i've seen multiple times where people that uh, had uh you know a full-grown beard or or, or simply a, a a normal uh uh face but all of a sudden out of the blue there's a bald spot on their face now i'm not saying they all have tzarat but this is in essence one of the indications in the torah that the person had tzarat that all of a sudden he has a bald spot on his beard uh so perhaps uh, it's something to look into because this is at the very least is a sign from heaven that a person needs to do tshuva now uh at least when it's referring to in the torah now here it's a uh it's talking about how the kohen is going to look and evaluate this nega and after determining that it is tzarat it says now in english it translates he declares him contaminated 
but in hebrew the proper translation is is that he decreed him contaminated what's the difference the difference is that until the kohen said that he is in, that he has tzarat he didn't have tzarat he didn't have tzarat officially meaning that once the tzaddik said it that's what it is now of course there is a reason there's a, two things that we need to learn from this number one who checks the kohen if he has something does he check himself since he's already been able to check tens of thousands if not millions of people in uh you know in, in the desert already over the years can he check himself if he has uh, something or does he have to go to his friend his brother his cousin that's also a kohen and ask him listen is it sarat or not i mean if he's good enough to check uh you know 10 million people why can't he check himself that's question number one question number two why even have to use a kohen why did a kadosh Baruch Hu decree that the kohen has to be the one that checks it why can't the guy just attend the course that the kohen will have for everybody at mount sinai i mean what else are you going to do you're in the desert for 40 years anyway learning torah have a course for everybody and say listen guys this is all of the different details you need to know to determine whether something is tzarat this is something that you can do at home for yourself check yourself your kids your wife your spouse everybody else perhaps you can make a business out of it maybe you can market it you know to tzarat for one you know do a special why can't they just you know have anybody do it those are the two questions that i thought about today perhaps you thought about better questions perhaps you thought about the same questions either way these are real questions now we already know from alacha that the kohen if he has any type of uh, uh spotting if you will on his skin the torah forbids him from checking himself now he is perfectly fine if he let's say for example had his day of work he checked today a thousand people some yes some no he decreed this one yes this one no he's right on all of them Hashem knows this guy is good he's good everything he's doing is good but he noticed on himself oh right he sees that he has something that kind of looks like what he's been looking at for the last 10 years needless to say something he's been looking at all day he cannot determine if he has tzarat or not the Gemara says, why can't the Kohen determine that, the tzarat, that he, uh, he has Tzarat or not? First and foremost, it's the same answer for everything. Because Akadosh Baruch Hu decided that's the case. Meaning, why? That's why. Hashem said so. That's the reason for all of the mitzvot. Why do you have to keep Shabbat? Because Hashem said so. Why do you have to keep kosher? Because Hashem said so. Why do you have to keep family purity? Hashem said so. Why? That's why. That's it. He's the king. He makes the rules. That's the real reason for all of the mitzvot now comes the gemara comes the chinuch comes uh you know the sages that discuss this so yeah there's also another time there's also another taste that you can get out of it what the reason why the kohen cannot check himself is because there's human nature involved there's human nature involved even in the tzaddik even in the kohen and adam and kohen nega the regular person does not see a deficiency in himself needless to say a kohen even though he's righteous good everything is good he's perfect he's an expert still 
for him to evaluate his own nega, his own uh, uh, um, affliction, he's biased. He's biased. Cannot, he cannot trust himself. He can be trusted to check everyone else, but not himself. Why? Because there's an inner bias, something that we've talked about in our series of Jewish Ashkafa over the last several weeks uh, about how a person has to be a righteous judge, not just for others, but for himself too. Now, so here we see that first question is answered that a person cannot rely on their own evaluation. They cannot rely on their own evaluation. They have to go to somebody else that's an expert. So how does this uh, relate to us? Simple. When it comes to uh, a, your own uh, new insights, your own understandings, you read the parasha, you read the halacha, you're, you have different questions, you always have to ask your rabbi, Talmit uh, Chacham, somebody that has the Ratshamayim, you cannot rely on your own understanding, especially when your understanding is not in line with what is accepted. Especially when it's not in line with what's accepted. And many times people decide that their own warped understanding is the truth, only to find out that they've literally wasted 5, 10, 20, 30 years of their life living uh, you know, a, a false reality. Literally living a false reality and just, they decided that this is what the halacha is. They decided this is what God meant. Instead of going to the experts, instead of like they would in medicine, like they would in, in law, like they would in architecture, like they would in, uh, in, in anything else, when it comes to Torah, people's ego and Yetzirah take control and they're, uh, they simply decide this is what the law is because that's the way I understood it. And they assume that Hashem is simply going to accept it because they also determine that they are allowed to give another face to the 70 faces of the Torah. As if this is out for the taking, everybody could just add whatever version of, uh, of demented reality they have and decide that this is another version of truth. This happens very often when people make these different comments in defending the heretics and they don't like what we have to say that shows that they are not only heretics but they're also idol worshippers and their only defense is, what? Oh, he has his truth, you have your truth. Why do you have to disagree? Yeah, he is, he's, uh, has a good history, he has a this, he has a that. And it literally shows how ignorant people are. There is no such thing as two truths when it comes to certain things in the Torah. There, there's just, there are certain things that it's black and white. Now, of course, a person that doesn't know, uh, doesn't know how the Torah works, doesn't know how halacha works, will simply decide they can just add, subtract, uh, you know, do a multiplication even and division uh, with the Torah laws uh, and play with it like it's putty. So uh, the Torah tells us here that when it comes to uh, uh, evaluating things, if you are guiding your children if you're guiding your spouse that's one thing but when you're guiding yourself you have to be even more careful and always double check why because you have more of a bias when it comes to yourself than you have for anybody else because a person naturally loves himself or herself more than everybody else even if you want to say no but i love my kids more and i love my husband more good for you for thinking that in reality you love yourself more than everybody else why it's just a reality it's human nature it's human nature. And a person needs to know that they have to double check. They have to double check everything. So that's the reason why even a Kohen, even a Kohen has to double check. Even though he has an expertise, he's righteous, everything is good, he has to double check, he has to triple check, he has to check, period. 
and make sure that uh, what he has is either tzarat or it's not. Now the question is, why, why does a Kadosh Baruch Hu even make us go to the Kohen? Why can't he give a course? Why can't the Kohen, well, I mean, there were thousands, tens of thousands of Kohanim. Why can't the Kohanim give a course for everybody to learn and just do this at home? You know, what is it called? Uh, 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 DOY or something like that? Uh, do it yourself? You know, why, why, uh, uh, why doesn't, why do I need this? Kohen to know that uh, I have this Tzarat. Because Rabotari Karim, the whole point of the, the disease is not because Kadosh Baruch Hu wants people to be sick. But rather because the Kadosh Baruch Hu wants people to do tshuva. And anytime a person has these signs, anytime a person has difficulties, that's a Kadosh Baruch Hu speaking to them. And when there is tzarat specifically, that's a Kadosh Baruch Hu speaking to a person a unique language that has to do with specific actions. Many times many times having to do with Lashonara. This person spoke Lashonara about somebody else. They told everybody that this guy is rich. They told everybody that she got divorced. They told everybody that they're having family problems. They're telling everybody that uh, he uh, just uh, made a lot of money or lost a lot of money in the stock market. All being true, still being Lashonara. Still being Lashonara. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends them Tzarat Hashem Yishmo. So what uh, uh, many times... A person that uses their logic doesn't really understand the rationale behind it. What, how would a skin disease that's also spiritual in nature going to make the person uh, do tshuva for saying Lashonara? Well, first and foremost, he sends them to the Kohen. Why the Kohen? Why not themselves? Because once it goes to the Kohen, it's not a private experience. People are going to know. Everyone is going to know because if you have tzarat, you get kicked out of the camp. And the whole nation knows that you have tzarat because you said lashonara that in itself is of paramount importance because when a person thinks of the magnitude of the punishment they reevaluate whether the sin is worth it this is the reason why the sages teach time and time again why reshit hashem the beginning of fear of hashem uh, uh, the, the beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Why? Because if you know the magnitude of the punishment, you will reevaluate whether that price is worth it to pay for that sin, for that desire that you have that's forbidden. So when you know that this Lashonara will become public, because it's going to go to the Kohen, you're going to get kicked out if it's verified, everyone is going to know, including the victim of your Lashonara, that already that makes people think twice. Second, the second thing that I, uh, 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 a person uh, uh, needs to think about is that the, uh, once this is, comes to the, uh, to the Kohen, there's a certain amount of shame that the person gets. That person is getting the shame because he himself caused somebody else shame by disclosing a certain truth about that person. If it's not true, then it's a different sin. It's called Rechilut. Now, he disclosed something that the person doesn't want people to know, uh, which either causes him to distance more from people or to, for people to bother them, depending on what you've said. Either way, because of that, they get kicked out of the camp and in essence get the same uh, uh, measure for measure 
punishment you caused people to distance themselves away from that person you spoke about Hashem in essence kicks you out of the camp to uh, make you uh, see what it feels like so that in itself is a certain amount of shame but when it's actually that shame begins by the decree of the tzaddik the Kohen that in itself is a even higher level of shame so why do we want to cause this person so much shame because when a person when a person feels shame that in itself begins their tshuva when a person feels bad they start evaluating their actions and seeing what they could have done to make it better so that already that suffering that shame causes a person to reevaluate their actions and see what they can do to fix it what they can do to not repeat this issue but also that suffering already starts the tshuva process because that suffering it has a has a value that suffering has a value a very big value that begins the person uh you know uh, taking their ego and lowering it taking their uh their overconfidence uh in in their own uh ability and knowledge and so on and lowering it and literally becoming more grounded so that shame that they that starts from the tzaddik himself from the kohen already is a very very big deal but also it is a silent rebuke to everybody else that perhaps is thinking of or uh in the same thought process as this person and uh were willing to do the same thing if they had the opportunity but now that they see that this person is being punished in such a horrific way such public shame that they have people get that silent rebuke and think twice before they do anything so the uh rebuke in itself is not something that anybody else likes not, not something that anybody likes unless that person has the right mentality where if a person knew what's good for them they would look for the rebuke of a tzaddik they would look for the rebuke why i'll give you a story that gives a a, a right uh, a right perspective one of the great sages in the previous generation was the uh, Sfatimit, the uh, Rebbe, uh, the Rebbe Migul, the Sfatimit, uh, Rabbi Udaleib. And Rabbi Udaleib was orphaned at a very young age and was raised by, uh, by, by his grandfather, who was also the, the Gdolador, uh, the Chidushe Arim. And uh, the Sfatimit, when he was a uh, young boy being raised by his tzaddik grandfather, he was already groomed to know that you have the ability and even expectation to become a gadol Torah, to be a big sage big talmit chacham work hard be dedicated purify your midot eliminate all of that spiritual chametz all year round that anger that's in all of us that arrogance that stinginess that uh that uh you know uh, just all you know people thinking uh incorrectly of themselves incorrectly of others you have to purify all of this chametz all year round and as a young boy he already dedicated himself in the torah that Be'ezat Hashem, we merit to have children and students like that so the sfatimet when he was 12 years old one night decides that he's going to learn torah with his friend all night 
all night, like older people do, but they're only 12 years old before Bar Mitzvah. And this young boy learns Torah all night with Mesirut Nefesh. Early in the morning, they go to pray the Netz Minyan, the Vatikin Minyan, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, pray. After they finish praying, of course, you're very tired from a long night of learning, serious Torah, praying, got to get some rest. Gets home, rest for a little bit, wakes up, and goes to yeshiva. And when he got to yeshiva, him and his friend, surely they were late. Surely they were late. It's already 10.30 in the morning. And the grandfather, the Chidusha Arim, sees his grandson showing up this late and rebukes him. This, this is how you plan to be a Gadol Torah? Missing the Minyan in the morning, not praying on time, showing up to learn Torah at such an hour? With such a way, you'll never be anything in the Torah. And he gives him a rebuke. And the young Rabbi Udaleib doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a word. When the tzaddik grandfather completes the rebuke, young Rabbi Uda puts his head down, says, yes, I, you're right, and goes to learn. His friend couldn't help himself. He says, why'd you do that? Why didn't you tell him that you were learning Torah the whole night? And not only you were learning Torah, that you didn't miss prayer. You prayed extra early. Like all the tzaddikim. Why didn't you tell him? He says, you're right. We did learn all night. And you're right. We did pray in the morning. And you're right. We didn't miss prayer. But how many opportunities am I going to get in my lifetime to get rebuked by a gdolado? And you want me to miss such an opportunity? When a person understands what rebuke really is supposed to be when it comes from a Torah, when it comes from a Talmud Chacham, when it comes from somebody that loves you, they're not concerned about the rebuke and how painful it is because it's always painful but rather they think about the outcome of this rebuke the outcome of this rebuke is for me is supposed to be me being better than what i am now and when a person thinks about what is the 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 purpose of this rebuke automatically that makes them welcome the rebuke much more doesn't necessarily eliminate the pain nobody likes to be wrong be rebuked in general but when a person thinks of things the right way they see how even something that's painful can be positive now one of the things that we see from the Torah is that the Torah is very stringent when it comes to the issues of intimacy, how a person is supposed to uh, 
express themselves, whether they're in private, whether they're uh, with their spouse, whether they're single, married, and so on. And of course, we've discussed this many times when it comes to the issues of uh, wasting seed, morality, and so on. But still, there is always a confusion with people that have, uh, you know, when it comes to the issues of of, uh, intimacy, wasting seed, and so on. Now, I wanted to bring you a few things. Perhaps some of them will be reminders. And others are going to be new. When it comes to the issues of morality, the Torah calls it Kedoshim or Kedusha. Why Kedusha? I mean, technically, when a person is immoral, it's the opposite of Kedusha. It's Tuma. Chachamim teaches that in order for Am Yisrael to be Am Yisrael, they have to be different than the nations. Not because of looks, not because of clothing, not even because of a, uh, the prayers, but rather because of how they manage them, themselves when it comes to the issues of morality, meaning intimacy. Am Yisrael is holy because of how they treat sexual relations, whether by self or with others. So much so that the Shulchan Aruch in Evan Ezel says that a Jew that wastes seed is making the biggest sin in the Torah. The biggest sin in the Torah. Now, further, the Gemara in Masechet Nida, page 13, says that a person that wastes seed, it's as if he committed murder, but not just any murder. He is a murderer of children. No more, no less. Literally, he is mass murderer of children. The Shnei Luchot Abrit by uh, Rabbi Yeshayahu Horowitz, Allah Shalom, says that a person that wastes seed causes the exile for all of Am Yisrael to be prolonged, delays the Mashiach. He doesn't merit to see the face of the Shekhinah ever, even after he dies and never sees the face of the Shekhinah. If he doesn't do tshuva, he goes to Gehenom and never comes out. He will not be resurrected with the dead. He brings death and plague to the entire world. Meaning it could be his fault that we had Corona. Could be his fault that we had Omicron. It could be his fault that he had AIDS and cancer. Because of a single act. If he learns Torah and he wastes seed, it prevents him from being able to understand the Torah. It brings him to poverty. His sons will become will be reshaim. And people that come from his children will be heretics, atheists, reformers. The Gemara in Masechet Nida says that a person that wastes seed is like as if he brought the flood of Noach to the world. He's a murderer. It's like an idol worshiper. He should be killed with a death penalty for a single act of wasting seed. 
he's considered to have a major impairment on his neshama. He just literally chopped off a piece of his own neshama. He should be excommunicated on a ban. Masechet Kala says that he has no share of the world to come. The Zohar Kadosh Parashat Noach says that he has no portion of the God of Israel. In essence, he's considered as if he's an atheist. All the troubles that befall that person come from this sin, says the Tikkunei Zohar. Parashat Lech Lecha in the Zohar says that a soul will be uh, eventually be destroyed, will go to waste after he stays in Genom for, in essence, the equivalent of eternity. Even in his life, even in his life, he's under the control of the Sitra Achra. It's as if the Sitra Achra is controlling him with a string, where to go, what to do. When he says Kriyat Shema, Tikkunei Zohar says his Kriyat Shema is not heard by Kadosh Baruch Hu. Throw in the garbage in so many words. Put it in some file until he does Tshuva. The Ramban, in his commentary on the book of Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 18, says that a person that is promiscuous with self would eventually be promiscuous with the opposite sex, with women. He's looking for pretty women, Rabban says. And if he doesn't get himself under control, eventually this desire for women will turn into desire for men and animals. Ramban, 800 years ago, already talked about what we see in the streets today. All these pretty boys... They want other boys. Instead of being normal men that want to marry a woman, build a house, he wants to be a woman. And the corrupt society we live in says that this should be applauded. This should be celebrated. Now promiscuity doesn't end with just oneself. Many times promiscuity is with another person. In Parashat Balak, we see that Bil'am was not allowed to curse Am Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally caught his tongue, did not allow him to curse Am Yisrael. And as a last effort, he told Balak, if you want to destroy Am Yisrael, have them destroy themselves. By getting them to sin with your non-Jewish girls. And they sent them all of the pretty girls from the Gentile nations. Initially they enticed them to do some business. And before they know it, they were intimate with them. But right before the intimacy, they showed them an idol and made them bow to the idol if they want to be intimate with them. Meaning that literally countless sins were made in a matter of moments. HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to destroy Am Yisrael. That's what he said in Pashat Pinchas. 
He decided to destroy Am Yisrael, and if it wasn't for Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Akoen being zealous for Hashem and killing the top perpetrator, Zimri, he would have destroyed all of Am Yisrael. So we see from here that the issues of immorality are even worse when it is a Jew with a non-Jew. If it's a Jew by himself, it's horrible, but the damage is generally speaking mostly on himself, but he deserves death penalty according to heaven, not that the Bedin wouldn't kill him, but according to heaven he deserves death penalty because the spiritual damage that he's causing, even though he's in by himself, is causing hardship for Am Yisrael, where he's bringing the flood, he's delaying the Mashiach, he's bringing disease and plagues to the world, soldiers die because of him, and so on and so on. But this is, again, why uh, it's, it's in essence mostly damaging himself, but causing, causing, causing damage to, to the nation itself. When a person is intimate with a non-Jew, magnify it. Magnify it even more. Why magnify it even more? The Rambam in Ilchot Isuebea, chapter 12, Allah number 1, says when a Jew engages in relations with a woman from the other nations, as his wife, or when a Jewish woman engages in relations with a non-Jew, and she's his wife, the punishment according to the Torah is lashes. Where it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3, you shall not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughter to his son. Do not take his daughter for your son. And this is both uh, applies to uh, this. All of the Gentile nations were forbidden from marrying any of them. So from the beginning of it, it seems, wait, it's not so bad. Seems like it's wasting seed is much worse than being with a non-Jewish girl. That's why we don't learn from just one thing. We have to learn the world of it. We continue with the Rambam. The Rambam says, this scriptural prohibition applies only to marital relations, meaning that they were intimate one time. That's where they get that lashes. But when one engages in a relation with a Gentile woman just for lustrous reasons. This is what he gets is the lashes. But if the Jew designates this Gentile woman as if uh, she's uh, his, his wife, if you will, like it's an actual relationship, he's liable to multiple sins. The sin of Nida, the sin of a maidservant, the sin of a Gentile woman, the sin of Zona. Meaning he gets punished for each, as if he committed all of these sins. Now, a man that engages in relation, if he's a Kohen, and he goes with a uh, Gentile woman. He's liable for lashes. If he uh, has relation with a Gentile woman in public, 
Like, unfortunately, is seems uh, seems to be uh, a thing in today's world. Or it's known by ten people. Meaning that the Rambam is giving us the definition of what does public mean. Public means, to most people, they're in the middle of uh, Times Square. That's public. The Rambam gives the definition that we get from the Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zarah, which is, public is, ten people know that you're with this girl. They don't even need, you can be private, but ten people know that this is what you guys are doing. That's considered public according to the halacha here. If a zealous person would strike and kill him while he's in the action, he'll be praiseworthy like Pinchas. Now, of course, we don't have such a zealous person and we're not saying anybody to kill anybody right now, but just to understand the magnitude of the crime here, that this person that is intimate with a non-Jew is liable to be murdered and the person that killed him and her is a tzaddik. In the eyes of Hashem, like Pinchas. That's the view of the Torah. Most importantly, the Rambam says, He is liable to karet. He's liable to karet. Being with a non-Jew is a karet sin. Where do we get that from? The Rambam says he brings in Allah number six, chapter 12, Allah number six. He says, Don't think that the because he just receives lashes, that it's not a uh, big deal. He has a spiritual karet here. Even if the relationship is conducted in private, meaning even if nobody knows that he's with this with this Goya. It's still karet. Where do we learn it from? The prophet Malachi says in the name of a kadosh Baruch Hu in chapter two, verses eleven and twelve. He says Yehuda desecrated that which is sacred to Hashem by loving and engaging in relations with the daughter of a foreign god. May God cut off from a man who does this any progeny. And descendant. And implied, the Rambam says, is that if he is an Israelite, he will not have any progeny among the wise who will raise issue, nor any descendant among the scholars. And thus you have learned that a person who shares intimacy with a Gentile woman is considered as if he married a false deity. As the verse says, engaging in relations with the daughter of a foreign god, where he's called one who desecrated that which is sacred to God. And although this transgression is not punishable by execution by the court, meaning being intimate with a non-Jew, it shouldn't be regarded lightly because it leads to the detriment that has no parallel among all of the other forbidden sexual relations. For a child conceived from any forbidden sexual union is considered the father of son with regards to all matters and is considered a member of the Jewish people, even if he's a mamzer. 
but a son conceived from a gentile woman by contrast is considered is her son he's not considered his son we get it from deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 4 for he shall sway your son away from following me she turns him away from being one of those who follow god Al-Khan number nine it says that the gentile woman who engaged in a relation with a uh, man or a gentile man engaged with a uh, jewish woman they have a very serious problem At the time of the sanhedrin if the people are uh, if the gentile engaged in relations with a, with a jewish woman if she was married she, the the uh, the man would be executed by the court if she's single he's not executed but still punished executed because they're also uh noahides also forbidden from adultery but if a jewish man enters into a relation with a gentile woman knowingly knowing that he knows that she's not jewish then the woman is executed he's punished with lashes and gets karet but the woman would be executed by the sanhedrin why is the woman getting uh, what seems like a worse punishment number one because the mercy on the gentiles that sin is much less by hashem than on the jewish people uh and number two that she caused him to sin and we have a rule in the torah rabbi shimon Yochai brings it someone that causes another person to sin is worse than someone who killed another uh, the person and therefore that gentile woman is supposed to get executed meaning that if you are a non-jew and your boyfriend is jewish you're still alive every second you're alive is a miracle why according to the torah you should be killed by hashem then people are surprised why they get cancer and all types of horrible diseases now the punishment is explicitly stated in the torah in the book of numbers chapter 31 verse 16 and 17 where says behold they were involved with the children of israel according to the advice of bilam and it says execute any woman fit to know a man through lying with male with a male see here we see rabotai the torah is not so uh kind when it comes to intermarriage or even a casual uh lustral uh, relationship that could even be a one-night stand needless to say if it's an actual ongoing relationship between a jew and a gentile now when it comes to a person by themselves the rambam also discusses it same thing like the yeshuchan aruch says well, the Rambam actually goes even further. The Rambam that preceded the Shulchan Aruch in Ilchot uh, Isurei Be'ah, chapter twenty-one, in Alchan uh, number eighteen, it says that it's forbidden to waste seed, to release sperm wastefully, and therefore a person should enter his wife and ejaculate. Uh, 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 a person should not enter his wife and ejaculate outside of her. A man should not marry a minor who is not fit to give birth. 
And whoever does, wait, see, it is as if they killed a person. It is considered as if they murdered somebody. And as the Gemara mentions, it's as if they're murdering children specifically. This is why the next few Alakhori talks about how a person needs to watch his eyes, needs to even uh, sleep a certain way on his side. Now, the question is, wait, so what's worse? Wasting seed or Isu Goya? Simple logic solves the question. Which again is the Alakha. What's the logic? Anytime you make a bigger sin that that is in essence doing the same act as the lower sin, you should know it includes both. Meaning, when a person wastes seed by themselves, that already we see is considered as if he's a murderer of children, he brings the uh, uh, plague to the world, he should be on, on, on uh, you know, excommunicated and so on and so forth he's in horrible shape if he is with a uh, prostitute with a uh, a gentile woman uh he's a uh, with a woman that's forbidden to him in any other way his sister something like that then it's considered worse not only because it's obviously multiple people sinning so therefore it's worse but also because it includes wasting seed too meaning he's not going to some prostitute or some lustral relationship one night stand or 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 your average boyfriend girlfriend relationship looking to have kids so what does that mean that every single time he's with a gentile woman he's wasting seed and also with a gentile and also considered with a zona and also considered as if he's serving an idol and on and on now if he she is a jew Let's say he's a Jew, she's a Jew, but they're not uh, married to have children. Then he is wasting seed. Then there's a sin of both of them being promiscuous. And worst of all, she is Nida, which we just said at the beginning of the shoe when a man is with another woman, even if she's his wife, but it's not at the time they're permitted to be with each other. It's karet to both of them. Now, when they're not married, not only is it karet to both of them, where they both lose their olamaba, but she is declared and he is declared in Shamaim as promiscuous people, zona, prostitute. In so many words, they're not in good shape, to say the least. So when a person evaluates these things, and then he looks at the actions of the sages. And because we're running, uh, you know, we've already out of time. I think it's important enough to bring at least this last part. I'm not going to bring you the other things I wanted to take because I'm sure you guys want to ask questions. But you'll see why the sages say what they say. After you've heard everything that I just heard, this rebuke from the Torah, then you'll see why the same tzaddik, Gdolado, that we mentioned in the event last week, Rav Shlomo Klugel, one of the Gdolado, the giants of one giants, why he paskined a 
Shayla the way he did. Where in his same sefer, a response called Tuftan Vedat, in the uh, publication, publication of Kama, in the first volume, Siman 228, there is a question coming to him where there was a Jewish man who married a non-Jew and they had a daughter and as a celebration of his daughter with the non-Jewish woman meaning that the daughter is not Jewish he went to the synagogue and he wanted to get an aliyah to the Torah so he could name the daughter that's not Jewish but celebrate it it's still a gift She's still human and he wants to donate money and get an aliyah to the Torah. Now in today's world, people are say, okay, what's the big deal? Well, okay, give him an aliyah to the Torah. He's trying. Judge him favorably. Maybe you'll do kiruv. That means whoever said that has a upside down head. Why? Because the rabbi of that community saw that this rasha wants to get an aliyah and he rebukes him he says you're not going to get an aliyah you're not going to get an aliyah you're not going to get nothing you should be on cherem excommunicated you're never going to get an aliyah your prayers are not counted your daughter is not jewish and rebukes him publicly for the chutzpah of not only intermarrying but expecting the Jewish world to accept it and now the community had a tough time hey he's one of us he's a Jew why so hard on him rabbi we need to ask a bigger rabbi to see if what you're doing is right maybe you got you're 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 distancing people you're being too fanatic and they send a Shayla to the Gdolado Arab Kluger Arav Shlomo Kluger writes in his responsa. This story and the response to it. And the response is praiseworthy is this tzaddik that did this. May I have the merit to be at his feet so I can kiss them and may I have the merit to have my next world be like his surely what he did is right he is considered like Pinchas and then he goes to town about how wicked anyone that thinks otherwise is needless to say how wicked this person that's intermarried is for intermarriage needless to say for expecting the Jewish world to accept it but the part that people perhaps are not gonna get initially without that first part that I mentioned to you which is that the Rav Klugel says this rabbi that rebuked him this jew that rebuked him he's such a tzaddik i wish i had the opportunity to kiss his feet 
I wish my Olam Abba would be like his. Now, even if somebody does a mitzvah, I mean, Gdol uh, is asking to have an Olam Abba like his? Yes. Why? To be such a man of truth at a time of test, it's not something that everybody can do. And if you can, you are the best representation of what we should all aspire to be. And everyone should love this rebuke. Why? Because of everything that I said that scared the living lights out of everyone that heard it for the last half hour. It's not about disliking personally the Jew that's married to a non-Jew. The rebuke is not because I dislike him because he's Sephardi or Ashkenazi or he's tall or he's short or he's rich or he's poor or I don't like his wife or I don't think she had... No! That rebuke to him, to the community, to us is because we know the magnitude of this crime in the eyes of Hashem. Because we know that each time he's with her, he is destroying lives, not just their own lives. He is destroying the Jewish community. He's delaying the Mashiach. He's bringing plagues to the Jewish world. He's bringing death to our nation. He's distorting the Torah. He is promoting idolatry. He's cutting off himself from a connection with God. He's murdering his own wife and children because they're going to get punished. This act is literally a silent holocaust. And because anyone that knows it cannot stand that pain and still be quiet, surely they have to rebuke with the strongest words without tiptoeing or considering your incorrect feelings that are full of ignorance and arrogance. Someone that rebukes such a person with such clarity, of course he's a tzaddik. Why? He cares more about him, the very same person that is sinning, he cares more about that community, that community that wants to agree and support the person that's sinning. He cares more about Klal Israel, the ones that wants to unite with everybody. He cares more about all of them than they care about themselves because he does know the truth. He knows the consequences. And he refuses to put his own self-interest and comfort in front of theirs meaning that he knows he's going to have to deal with a lot of headache monetary loss may lose his job may lose a a, a lot of uh, uh things he worked hard for but he knows it and he still does it because he cares about the inevitable punishment that will happen to a person that continues this without doing tshuva this is the reason why anytime somebody comes to me whether it's a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, Jew and Jew, or Jew and Gentile, or it's people that are married and they're intermarried, I always tell them, there is never going to be a time you're going to get an okay for me that you're intermarried. You are forbidden from being with each other. Whether you choose to continue or not, it's your business. I'll guide you the best that I can. I'll answer your questions the best that I can, but you should know that every single second you are together, every time you touch each other, 
you are in serious trouble. It's a miracle you're alive. Now, some people get taken back. They get scared. They run away. They take offense to it. But most people respect the truth. Why? It's not so common. It's not so common. And anyone that likes the truth knows that that truth, as painful as it is, it's a truth that shows you care. You care more about them than you care about your popularity and your uh, profit, if you will. And in the end, you end up profiting a lot more because you now have yourself a few more people going in the right direction, more time than not. This is why in the Jewish world, when it comes to the issues of intermarriage, when it comes to the issues of promiscuity, when it comes to the issues of homosexuality, of wasting seed, of all of these things, there is no sugarcoating the subject in any way. There is no tiptoeing around it. You have to speak clearly and you have to explain to people what the magnitude of the punishment is going to be in this world and the next because that's the only language people understand. This is how the sages spoke. This is how the Rambam spoke. This is how the Shuchan Aruch spoke. This is how Rav Kluger spoke. This is how everybody spoke. Why? Because this is an issue that's not a new thing. Even the people changing their gender. You know, they decided that the guy is a guy and he wants to be a girl and he starts doing all these operations. It's also not new. These are things that we already had in previous generations. At the time of the Amoraim, at the time of the Rishonim. They discuss it halachically. Saying that there is nothing new under the sun. These things are mentioned in the Torah. Nothing new in the world today. Nothing. When a person knows that the sages knew all of what we know that's in the world today and still spoke as aggressively about it, clearly, if you thought that they were benefiting out of it monetarily or I don't know, whatever other demented way people think, how are they going to benefit out of it by writing it in a book that is going to outlive them? Why would he include the story with all of these issues? He could have just simply stated the halacha like the Rambam. Why does he have to put in the response of the actual story itself of what happened and who and what and when and how praiseworthy he is for publicly embarrassing this intermarried Jew? Because it is showing that you care. It's not exposing your flaws for the sake of benefiting ourselves, but rather exposing your flaws in order to wake up that sleepy soul that you have that's leading you astray. And of course, to warn all of the people that are watching from ever doing the same thing. With that being said, this Rabotai is an important chametz that we have to remove. There are many other things I would like to say, but it has to do with a different uh, uh, aspect of chametz, spiritual chametz. Perhaps we'll have the merit to say it next week because I'm sure you guys want to ask some questions. So uh, I'll give you guys the opportunity after I get a drink. Uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, take some questions. Was the shame.
ברוך, אוקיי. אוקיי, does it do nothing or does it have a negative effect on the blessed person how should a person react to these blessings if one wants to be cordial but uh, doesn't want to say thank you or you too uh, to such things since the person that said it thinks about the idol and not Hashem uh, simple you could smile you know like one of those half fake smiles like this that's it and uh, it has no repercussions it means absolutely nothing their idols have no have uh, you know eyes but they can't see ears but they can't hear uh, legs but they can't walk and arms but they can't uh, touch anything so their their idols are meaningless they have no power whatsoever uh, the uh, but if you uh, allow them to uh, to to touch you if you allow them to uh, make you repeat certain things uh, eat certain things uh, drink certain things and you know once you once that you get involved in the action then then you're uh, in trouble but uh, if it's just simply words coming out of their mouth it means absolutely nothing it has no value whatsoever has no significance whatsoever they could pray to their idol right next to you and it would mean absolutely nothing this is why sometimes you'll see that the uh, uh, the Rishon Litzion and and many sages in in in, in past uh, would sometimes uh, in order to have positive relations of peace uh, with the nations would sometimes uh, meet and you also see in recent years you see certain pictures of you know the uh, Rishon and different big rabbis praying on uh, for let's say the uh, health of the world when there was the corona and other times uh, where they pray right next to uh, a bunch of idol worshippers how could the holy Rishon Zion, head rabbi of Israel uh, both for the Ashkenazi world and Sephardi world and other tzaddikim pray right next to an idol worshiper simple I'm praying to God he's praying to his idol my prayer counts my prayer is actually doing something his prayer is just uh, air it means absolutely nothing it creates nothing uh, it's the only thing it does is uh, you know I, uh, uh, bring him sins upon him but it has no effect on me uh, so his words mean nothing and uh, uh, it's a uh, it's important to know that but also important to know that if uh, you uh, want to be cordial and so on uh, then uh, you can't say uh, amen or anything like that but you could smile and which is you know perfectly uh, uh, fine uh, Jeremy's asking if a Jew uh, is a Jew allowed to use the Apple credit card uh, it's run with Goldman Sachs, so I'm not sure if the fact that they're Jewish plays a role. I remember you said something, if a non-Jew owns it, it's not an issue. Uh, Goldman Sachs is not uh, Jewish. Goldman Sachs is a public company. Uh, once a company becomes a public company, then it's owned by shareholders. So it's not owned by uh, just Jews, it's owned by Jews, Gentiles, and we have to work halachically based on the majority the majority of the world are gentiles and therefore we could uh, safely assume that the majority of the shareholders of uh, all of the companies out there are gentiles and, uh, and it's not uh, jews and therefore it's a uh, this is not considered a uh, you know jews lending to jews 
not an Apple credit card or, uh, or even Bank Leumi uh, and other uh, banks that are uh, stated in, in Israel and different parts of the world. Many of them are not owned by a single person. Many of them have shareholders, even if they're not a public company, they're a private company, but there's multiple entities that own them. So uh, this is a, uh, you know, allows a person to use the, uh, and take uh, loans from them and, uh, and pay interest because you're not taking it, you're not paying interest to a Jew, you're paying it to an entity that's owned by, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of Gentiles. Uh, law of electric oven on Yom Tov for uh, cooking. Uh, yeah, well, if you have a timer, uh, as far as electric oven, if you have a, uh, a timer to turn it on and turn it off, then uh, you can use it. But generally speaking, uh, when it comes to electric ovens, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to, uh, I haven't found anybody that knows how to use it properly when, you know, to turn on and off and so on. It takes uh, a little bit of uh, knowledge as far as mechanics and, and, and so on. But uh, what we do, and what I know anybody that uh, is in Florida, which really everybody has these electric uh, uh, things, uh, they uh, simply cook everything before the holiday, and then you put it in the fridge, and when you want to eat it, you put it on the hot plate, which is already you know, on throughout the entire Shabbat or the entire holiday, uh, and you just put it on there for you know, uh, X amount of time, giving it enough time to warm up, Sometimes it'll take two hours, three hours, whatever it takes. Obviously, just a hot plate. It's not uh, uh, like a uh, uh, oven or anything, but nonetheless, it's a something that the entire Jewish world uses, um, or blech. But uh, either way, it's a uh, it's something that uh, uh, everybody uses in, in regards to um, Shabbat, but also on holiday, electric ovens. Haven't unless you have a way to time it on and off. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a, uh, something that you're going to be able to use. Um, Robert is asking, Rabbi, I've been searching for a lecture where you explained why Am Yisrael needed a tabernacle in the desert after the golden calf, but I just can't find it. Can you point me in the right direction? I don't remember all, all of my lectures off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, it has to do with the uh, the parasha of the uh, you know the golden calf, uh, where uh, you know you have Am Yisrael needed to uh, you know fix 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 the uh, the, the sin that they made, uh, and uh, one of the ways to to fix it is by having this uh, this tabernacle. If they didn't sin, it wouldn't have been the same. Same thing that if uh, Adam Arishon didn't sin then, uh, you know, there would have never been, uh, he would have never died. In fact, if Am Yisrael would have never sinned, they would have never died. But as far as which lecture I say all of these things, I don't remember. One thing I can tell you is that it's most likely in one of these Stump the Rabbi lectures, because usually uh, that's the lecture that I discuss the most amount of topics. I don't remember, you know, uh, any lecture that I made that the topic, the, the tabernacle, uh, the topic. So it's most likely one of these uh, stumped the rabbi lectures, but I don't remember which one it is. Between the hundreds of questions a day and the you know three shulim a week and the four shulim a week, three in Hebrew, one in English, Baruch Hashem, I'm, um, you know, at full capacity. I wish I could remember everything I said everywhere I said it, but uh, one uh, one word of advice I could tell everybody as far as uh, you know to the way to look for answers. Uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu has mercy on uh, on us and, and, and the public 
and he gave us different technology. And the technology that we have today is unbelievable. If you go to uh, bhtorah.org and you go to the search box and you simply type in the word. Let's say you want to type in the word tabernacle or you want to type in the word, uh, you know, wasting seed or homosexuality or Shabbat. You'll have all of the lectures that have that in their topic. And surely you could, uh, you know, be certain that I discuss something that has to do with the topic. Uh, of course, Lehavdil from bhtorah.org, our, our website to YouTube, which is also a fantastic tool. If you go to the search box on my channel, not just the YouTube search box, but my channel's search box. Uh, after you go to my channel, you go to the search box on uh, right under the logo on the bottom right, and you type in the uh, uh, where under the videos tab, you type in the uh, word uh, tabernacle, Shabbat, wasting seed, promiscuity, whatever. If it was ever in one of my titles, then you'll you'll get a bunch of lectures. And quite frankly, after so many uh, lectures over the years, uh, we've discussed so many different things that are common, uh, uh, you know, in, in people's minds and lives that it's very likely you'll find at least one, sometimes three or four videos about the questions that people ask, whether it's this one that you're asking or others. So that's what I always recommend to people. That's what I do myself when people ask me questions. Oh, where did you say something about Shabbat? I, you know, I see that these people sometimes are either they don't know what I just said uh, or they're just, you know, they're just lazy. They, they want everything spoon fed to them. So whatever, I take two seconds. I go to the website. I, uh, you know, uh, do a search. I get the link. I send them the link and uh, hope that they actually watch it. Um, you know, many times they don't, they just want me to give them a customized shield every time, which is not possible. But, uh, again, the answers to most of people's questions, uh, have already been answered, uh, in one of the shulim. And that's why we say if anybody that is truly, uh, someone that learns our Torah, uh, they, uh, they have answers to a lot of their questions, a lot of their questions. Uh, could you explain what it means? Uh, when it said, do not honor the wicked. Sure, uh, not honoring the wicked is a, uh, something that is very common in the world where uh, people uh, respect people because they have money, because they have a position of power, and they kiss up to them, uh, even though these people could be openly homosexual, openly enemies of the Torah, and so on. So to give such people uh, special respect a special uh, uh, treatment is uh, is uh, not only inappropriate, it's forbidden. Uh, unfortunately, it happens very often uh, where you have uh, different uh, religious figures, rabbis sometimes, where they know that somebody doesn't observe Shabbat, is uh, not a straight person, not a decent person, but he donates a lot of money. So they uh, say all types of... Uh, false uh things about him oh he's such a righteous person he's such a tzaddik you know so uh good such a good person in reality they uh everybody knows he's not a tzaddik and he's not even the issue of a tzaddik so doing that giving that honor that special respect to that wicked person is forbidden it's forbidden according to the torah now you don't necessarily always have to insult them and fist fight them or anything but to give them honor is certainly forbidden certainly forbidden you can get them closer without uh, lying to them and lying to yourself uh, that they are better than what they are. 
David is asking regarding Kabbalah can you explain what is forbidden by a Jew uh, I heard other rabbis discussing amulets black mirrors uh, etc is this considered the uh, divination uh, okay so the divinity that the nations use such as the tribe of Azare and uh, in, in, uh, in the Congo in Sudan in Africa over there that is no different than the uh, uh, you know the the acts of the necromancers of Egypt okay so if you go and you type in Zare or Azare it's called both this is a nation of people uh, that is uh, full of necromancy uh, um, uh, uh, and, and, and all types of things that depend on astrological signs uh you know uh, uh, speaking to the dead and uh doing all types of so-called mystical things that are using the powers of tum'ah that's in the world so i'm going to give you guys i guess a little bit of a slight uh kabbalah here teachings we're not going to go too deep into it don't ask me further but i'll give you some basics to understand the world of difference between the holy kabbalists the real kabbalists and the idol worshipers that are using all types of uh you know astrological signs and uh speaking to the dead and all types of things now for all intents and purposes when you look at it from the outside you know you have stories of kabbalists speaking to souls you know of, of dead people to uh, all types of demons uh and and, and connecting to the upper world to, you know changing nature if you will and you also have that among the nations or the people that are using necromancy black magic uh, uh and and all types of uh, ouija boards uh and uh all types of things in order to more or less uh again from the outside perspective to uh do the same thing they speak to the dead they can tell you things that are going to happen in the future they can t- tell you things that happened in the past there is uh this is very much a common thing uh, uh throughout all of history and it's still founded in the world uh there if you go to uh, uh the gemara the gemara talks about how there was uh 10 levels of impurity brought down to the world nine of them were given to the uh, to the uh, arabs nine of them were given to the arabs and this is why it's very common for uh, uh for that uh, nation to constantly be involved in all types of black magic now i know that there's also you find this black magic and necromancy and all types of uh things that are within the same uh, uh realm in haiti in uh, different parts of africa in uh different parts of uh the uh, the, the latin world uh you know and i've spoken about some of these things now the difference between the two is that the Jewish people the holy people are that are Kabbalists have perfected their uh grasp of the Torah itself both the written and the oral Torah if you uh read some of the stories of let's say uh one of the greatest miracle workers that we've had in in recent history the Baba Sali that uh I could tell you you know a lot of stories about uh and he was literally open miracles on a regular basis but what a lot of people don't know is that the Baba Sali was a 
Gdolador in Torah. He was a Dayan already when he was 20 years old. He was a uh, head rabbi of Morocco. He was an extraordinary Talmud Chacham. You would tell people that he's going on long trips to uh, go collect money, but in reality, he would sit, uh, hide in his attic, and study for a few months straight, just getting a, uh, fasting the whole day and getting a little bit of food to stay alive uh, in the middle of the night from his tzaddikah wife that was the only one that knew that he was uh, on these uh, fake trips just for him to be left alone so he could learn Torah. Uh, the, uh, the way uh, that he treated the Torah and how much he learned it is, is beyond what most people understand. And, uh, but he is one of the people that there's no question of how holy he was, how pure he was, uh, and, and the, the miracles that came from the Baba Sali and, uh, and, and, and his family from, and all of the sages from before came by them using the powers of holiness, by using specific names of God, by using specific prayers that came from a Kadosh Baruch Hu, that's part of our oral Torah, our oral tradition, but it's the, uh, the mystical aspects of Kabbalah, uh, by perfecting their neshama, by perfecting their character traits, by making major sacrifices uh, uh, for the sake of, uh, uh, of doing a lot of these things, for the sake of Am Yisrael, not using any of these things for their own personal uh, benefit in any way, uh, and uh, when you see that they were able uh, to, in so many words, change nature uh, many times for the sake of, uh, uh, of sanctifying Hashem's name and helping His people, then, uh, and then you compare it to the idolaters that are coming from Congo, Sudan, South America, uh, you know, all over the world, uh, you know, the, 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 surely the Middle East, uh, you know, the, uh, many of them have this uh, black magic. If you just simply go to Yafo, you go to Yafo, there's some, uh, some uh, uh, I, you know, Arab woman over there that's probably a thousand years old, it seems like, uh, that can tell you things about you and can tell you the future, and it happens. She's right. She knows what she's talking about. But it's all using black powers. It's all using impurity. It's all using impurity, and it's, uh, in essence, getting the strength from the sitra acha, from the satan, from the evil side, the bad side, the impure side. Uh, so they have, uh, you know, uh, some significant powers. They're able to talk to the dead. They're able to tell you things that happen in the future. They're able to change nature sometimes. They're able to do a lot of different things if they know what they're doing. I mean, for sure you know that most people that say they can do b- on both sides are fakers. You know, some people pretend to be really righteous, uh, Jews and Kabbalists, and in reality, they're not even a, uh, 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 you know, uh, someone that could uh, spell Kabbalah. They don't know anything, you know, but they, they, you know, they sell it because it's marketable and people are ignorant. And the same thing on the other side, people that pretend to be a sheikh or some type of imam or uh, some type of uh, uh, shaman or some, uh, you know, even a descendant of the Mayans or something. I don't know, like one of these uh, tribes... I'll tell you, they can do all these different magic and they can't do anything. They can't do anything aside from go to the bathroom and eat. That's all they can do. But there are some that can. And they know how to use these different spells and different words and different sacrifices to the Satan. They, they, they bring animals, they bring uh, blood, they bring seed. Uh, surely there's uh, a, a lot of uh, horrible things that happen as part of their uh, servitude of their false god, 
this is not new this is something that was already in rome uh this was something that was already in egypt this is something that was already in uh you know christianity uh this is something that's all over the world today uh the uh people that know how to use these things uh can do different things and they could speak to the dead they could uh do a lot of things but they're doing it for number one self-interest number two as a servitude to the satan uh servitude uh, you know they're 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 giving up uh life for the sake of uh, of uh, what they're doing they're not uh they're not doing it for the sake of uh people they're doing it for reputation for 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 money for uh, for things like that um and they deal with a lot of evil things a lot of evil things and uh who created both of these in the world because everything has to have a core you know something that's corresponding on the opposite so when it comes to the uh, kabbalah in order for a person to ever uh even try to delve into the world of kabbalah first and foremost they have to know they have to be an expert in all of the basics meaning they have to know alacha they have to know uh, Gemara, they have to know Shulchan Aruch, they have to know Chumash, they have to know Tanakh, they have to know a lot, a lot of information, but not a lot just because they're going to start being tested about it, because they need all of those tools in order to perfect their neshama, their soul. Because if I tell you, for example, a, uh, uh, a different the, the basics of Kabbalah, the basics of it, 99% of the world will not even understand anything that I'm saying. Anything that I'm saying, like without without an exception. I give you I give you an example, okay? I'll give you an example. If you open up your sidu, you'll see that we say a a, a prayer uh, called Anna Bikoch, okay? Anna Bikoch is a series of a half a dozen sentences, but what perhaps you may have noticed is a uh, is at the end of every sentence there is a series of six uh, of two words that don't you know they're not legible they don't make any sense uh and but they're divided into three letters and three letters okay now the most important part of the anabikoch is not the anabikoch but rather those letters the sentences were just simply by Chachamim in order to make it easier for you to remember those letters. Like, if you don't say the sentences, it's, a, it's not going to, you know, it's not a problem. Why? Because the, 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 the actual uh, part that you're supposed to do that, uh, what you're supposed to do there is use those letters. Use those letters. Now, most people have no idea what I'm talking about. What do you mean, use those letters? What am I do? Uh, take them to a trip? Take them to the mall? Use them as a hammer? What do you mean, use the letters? You have to use, take those letters, each series, and take the three on the right, take the three on the left, imagine them in your mind. You have to see the letters in your mind, and then combine them in your mind. That's what's called a kavanah. This is, and, and it, it, it's, a, it's a type of kavanah, you're taking the three letters on the right, the three letters on the left, and you're combining them into a single word. But you have to visualize this. To do this is an extraordinary amount of energy, extraordinary amount of uh, mental prowess that is simply not relevant to the overwhelming majority of the world. Okay? So, hence the reason why they have 
the words where you can at least do something over there it's for traditional purposes but most people don't even know what i'm just what i'm talking about another example my my very dear uh, student uh Rav Sani, who has an extraordinary series of uh, uh videos on our Be'ezrat Hashem channel going over halachot uh you know brought an halacha in the uh, uh Yokut Yosef a uh, where it talks about using the kavana of the uh of of uh, certain uh name of a kadosh baruchu the shema uh uh yud k vav k but the the uh the the mitzvah is to imagine the name of a shem the yud k vav k but not just the way you see it in a sefer torah where it's just uh the yud and you know and the letters but rather imagine it with a specific nikud which is the vowels in in in, in uh, uh, uh the vowels in the hebrew language but the vowels in the hebrew language is the those dots and dashes okay but use the nikud that is in the word yira, which means fear of hashem which means for the uh uh, uh for the yud of the yud kevavke of the name of hashem you use a chirik okay for the uh, the, the hay that comes after uh you'll um you'll use a uh a, a, a shva uh for the uh, uh vav uh that uh, comes out of uh, after that uh you'll use a kamatz uh and then nothing on the uh, on the the last uh hey so you have the yud k vav k uh but with the nikud that you would have in a different word that's yirah, that's fear of the almighty and you're supposed to imagine this in your mind not imagine it like you think about some distant memory when you went to the park and you fell on your foot and you cried but your abba gave you candy no imagine and visualize these four letters with this specific nikud in your mind as if it's physical in your mind with uh and if you want to magnify it further with uh, uh uh black fire on white fire and that's going to take your neshama and open up certain gates that are going to make you more fearful of hashem and then you are connecting your neshama to the upper world and you're doing a whole lot of stuff that's none of your business right now now when a real kabbalist when a real kabbalist does his thing like when the baba sali when the baba sali uh you know uh, one of the people that came to him and uh 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 said uh you know uh um we don't have any arak the, the rav uh, came here wants to do a celebration but there's no arak uh we don't have all the things we don't have any goes you have a little bit of arak left he says oh yeah we have just a little bit on the bottom of the bottle okay he says okay just give me that so they gave him the bottle that literally had less than a shot glass in it the baba sali covered his arm covered his arm we put like a you know like a like a towel over it and said give me your glass gave him the glass he poured a full cup give me another glass pulled the four cup the whole night the whole night he's pouring glasses and glasses of art for dozens and dozens of people as if he has not one not two but like 10 kegs of arak from a bottle that has a little bit when a tzaddik changes nature to that capacity when a tzaddik is able to literally make the door disappear 
and the people that tried to rob his house in Yerushalayim are not able to leave the house. They're not able to leave the house. They're right in front of them. They don't know how to leave. When you have tzaddikim, that a Kabbalist change nature, they're not doing what I just explained to you. What I just explained to you is not even first grade. It's not even preschool of the Kabbalistic world. To imagine the name of a Kadosh Baruch Hu as black fire on white fire. To imagine the name of a Kadosh Baruch Hu with a specific Nikud in your mind. To imagine the specific names that are either comprised of two letters or three letters or six letters. All types of things that sometimes you see people printed out on little cards and laminated and put it in their wallet thinking it's going to do them any good. The reality is to, to make all of these things happen, it's, it it's, it's, takes a lot. It takes a lot. There's a video I remember watching where there's a, uh, a person that was had a machine to measure the uh, aura, to have a visual uh, uh, of the aura of a person. He went to Rav Mordechai Eliyahu and he asked the Rav, I want to see your aura with this machine. Can the Rav please put on a tefillin? We want to see your aura once you put on tefillin versus once your your natural is already like a, an angel. We want to see what you are with your tefillin. And the Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, that was a very well-known Kabbalist and Sadiq, he says, no, it takes too long. What takes too long? If I asked any of you to put on tefillin, tell me it takes me, I don't know, two minutes. Two minutes, you have your tefillin on, and in five minutes you could put Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam. But the Gdola Do, Rav Mordechai Eliyahu, says to the guy, no, no, it takes too long to put it. You can't do it. Too much, too much to put on the fill in. Why? Because he doesn't put the fill in the same way as you do. He doesn't put the fill in the same way I do. He's not a regular person like us, where we just put something, it's just a little box in our head, and hopefully we don't think about anything garbage in our mind. Okay? It's not the same thing. When they're putting on the fill in, they're thinking specific names. They're taking their neshama to different places. They're seeing different things things that are above our pay grade and a person needs to understand that the holiness that's required to do some of these things is is not something that's comprehensible even for the the public hence the reason why real kabbalah you'll never find in a book real kabbalah kabbalah ma'asit like serious serious kabbalah you're not going to find it in a book in fact the books that you will find in Kabbalah that are actually have Kabbalah in them have intentional mistakes in them by the Kabbalists that wrote them and put them together. Intentional mistakes. Why? To make sure that it doesn't go fall into the wrong hands. And only the people that truly know Kabbalah will show you where there is the where's the mistakes that are intentional, where it's uh, this, where it's that, because it's not for everyone, because you could literally change nature, you can jump from place to place, you could do a lot of things. But again, all of it is using the powers of holiness that require a person to perfect himself, uh, where anger simply does not exist. They cry, they cry daily over the fact that not only there's no Bet HaMikdash, they cry because the Shekhinah is further from us. The Baba Sali, one, you know, he lived in, in, in uh, Netivot, but he bought a, uh, an apartment in Yerushalayim that he would only go there once a week. Once a week he would go there just to cry the whole day. 
Why? He wants to feel like he's not at home because Hashem doesn't have his home. So I want to feel a little bit what it feels like not to be home. And he would literally spend that day over there learning to and crying. You ask an average Jew, an average person in general, to cry over the, the massacres that are happening out there, to cry over the poverty to the, out there, to cry over some of the things that happened to their own family. You could barely get a little crocodile here. You ask people to cry on Tisha B'Av. People don't look at you like, what? What do you mean cry on Tisha B'Av? Why am I crying? You ask people to cry over the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. They'll tell you, just build another one. Like, the average person has no concept of what it means to cry over the Shekhinah, to cry over the, the fact that we're in the exile, the fact that there's, you know, that, that, that we don't know anything, that it doesn't matter how much you, you, you do, you're still in debt to everything that HaKadosh Baruch already gave you that you haven't even acknowledged that you received it. A person does not understand how much of a deficiency is in. A person doesn't understand how much, how much, how low he really is, how much of a zero he is, and how much work he has to do. And people say, "Wow, that's very negative, Rabbi. Why? That's you're, you're depressed." No, you fools. You're closer to Hashem because you know where you stand, and all you want is to serve Hashem more. When you want to serve yourself, that means you've turned yourself into an idol. When you serve Hashem, that is the ultimate, you know, happiness. That's the ultimate uh, 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 ecstasy you can possibly have. It doesn't come from sadness. You can't serve Hashem with sadness. But the average person, you know, combines wrong mentality with wrong feelings and think that it's true. Whereas with the holy people, the, the Kabbalists, the Talmidei Chachamim, literally they live for the sake of Hashem. They live for, for the Torah. They aspire to serve Him. So when they are doing their kavanot, whether it's specific names of Hashem or specific acts, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, things that we would view as suffering, they view as pleasure. They view as pleasure. Why? Because their ultimate desire is to serve Hashem. And therefore, the, the more you want to serve Hashem, the further your personal desires are from, uh, from, uh, from where the regular person is. I'll give you an insight, a chidush, to, to, to give you, uh, uh, perhaps, like, who wants me to bring this in the world. I didn't think I was going to bring it, but... I'll give you this. One common denominator that you have is that the tzaddikim, unlike the idol worshippers, the, 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 the leaders among the idol worshippers, you know, the churches, the, the, the pastors, the, uh, the priests, the imams, the sheikhs, all of those people, typically you see they have one common denominator. They'll have an exorbitant amount of money, an exorbitant amount of honor, an exorbitant amount of power, uh, and, and, and they're constantly yearning for more. You know, while the world is, uh, you know, uh, uh, frowning upon Putin's uh, 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 craving for power, people forgot that uh, the other guy from Ukraine is uh, craving for just as much power, if not more, uh, and is not any less corrupt than the other, than Putin. But anyway, the, uh, the, the, the world is corrupt. The world is upside down. Until you look at the tzaddikim. 
Until you look at the tzaddikim. Why? Because you'll see one common denominator among the tzaddikim is that they all care less, care less about money. But I don't mean care less about money like they don't go collecting for money. They simply don't view it as anything different than a hammer, than, 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 than a, pe- a pen, than, than any, it's just literally dust. And many of them literally look at it as something disgusting. Look at it as something disgusting. Now, how does somebody get to such a point? Now you can say, no, I don't like money either. Okay, buddy. Be realistic here. Let's, 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 let's be realistic here. Person, average person, you tell them what, uh, what uh, would you do if, uh, if you won the lotto and you got $500 million, already the average person has a bunch of thoughts of all the things that he does. Why? Because he already thought about it. You asked the tzaddikim, what would you do with $500 million? They're going to look at you like, what's $500 million? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What is it? They, they have no concept, no connection, no shayachut to, 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 to money, to materialism. One tzaddik came to uh, see Rabbi Fahim and uh, somehow the topic of uh, cars came up. And the uh, one uh, uh, car that uh, I've, I've said in a uh, shiur one time or conversation that I had with Rabbi Fahim one time, I told him Ferrari many years ago. And he asked me, what's a Ferrari? So I told him what a Ferrari car is. So ever since then, every time he wants to mention a, a, a fancy car, he says, that's a Ferrari, Ferrari. So the, the, the uh, student that came over there, uh, Rabbi Fahim says to him, tell me, all these people that you know in this world, they're all trying to get the Ferrari. What's the difference between a Ferrari and this toaster? The Ferrari is a piece of metal. The toaster is a piece of metal. If anything, the toaster is better. At least it makes you toast. What does the Ferrari do? And this is not meant as a joke. It's full seriousness. Why? Because tzaddikim are people that are free. Now in this Chag of Pesach, we're celebrating our freedom. What is our freedom? What does it mean freedom? Who's free? Free, you have to pay bills every day. Free, you have to go to work. Free, you have responsibilities. What's free? You have a government that hates you, no matter where you are in the world. You have people that are trying to take advantage of you. You have people that are trying to steal from you. What's free? People that have Torah have freedom. Only people that have freedom are people that have Torah. Why? Because the Torah, when a person really delves into it and lives Torah, they develop a freedom from the addiction to the physical desires that drive the world crazy. By unveiling the disguise that those desires have that on people and these desires show themselves as healthy as good monetary desires sexual desires uh, power desires honor all this stuff they all disguise themselves as being good being favorable whereas the torah shows you that this is all a disguise where in reality these desires that are viewed 
as good and even aspire to acquire by the vast majority of the world they're all aspiring to acquire poison where instead of them being good they're actually poisonous and only through an enormous amount of torah and servitude of hashem and working and perfecting your own flaws on a regular basis in perpetuity is going to little by little remove the layers of this disguise from the desires of the world and show you that they're all poisonous and the more you acquire you perfect your neshama the more you free yourself from these desires and the more you become what's called parush parush is free from worldly things and this is one common denominator you have that the tzaddikim have now why does a jewish leader a real jewish leader a tzaddik a gdoladol why does a uh, a jewish leader whether he's a jewish leader of a keilah or of a generation obviously for each their own why do they all have to be parush free from worldly uh, desires because first and foremost one of the, the the main job of a leader is to free other people and in order to free other people unlike what society teaches which is you should fight for freedom no to free other people you have to free yourself first you yourself have to be free if you are addicted to immorality how are you going to help people free themselves from immorality if you are addicted to money how are you going to help people stop being addicted to money if you are addicted to all types of worldly desires how are you going to help people connect to Hashem how how exactly is this going to happen so the leaders the tzaddikim they're parush they're pushim they're free from these worldly desires and that in itself makes them fit to be a leader and this is why Moshe Rabbeinu his humility that is constantly mentioned in the Torah stemmed from his freedom from worldly desires that we see he was able to express through his uh not touching his first wife that was the uh queen of kush that he was married to for 40 years she was married to the original king of kush when he died uh, and they made moshe rabenu king over there moshe rabenu knew that he's not allowed to be with her even for a half a second and he didn't touch her for 40 years meaning the test that yosef Tzadik had with eshet potifar moshe rabenu had for 40 years 40 years same test never touched her once this was part of Moshe Rabbeinu perfecting himself eventually culminating to Akadosh Baruch Hu asking him to leave his wife now what's the difference between the holy Moshe Rabbeinu and him being celibate eliminating his connection to his own wife and the filthy disgusting idol worshipers from the church that say that they are not touching women in reality every church has you know a orphanage connected to it somehow and all of a sudden the nuns 
are the pair are the mothers. But the point is, is that in the idolatrous world, they consider their celibacy as their sacrifice that's coming from suffering because they want to make themselves more holy. That's theoretically what it is. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't stop being with his wife and suffer. Not once do you, do you mention that Moshe Rabbeinu suffered. But in fact, his desire to serve Hashem was so extraordinary that he did everything he possibly could to perfect himself, slowly but surely, eliminating any connection to the physical desires of the world, becoming completely parush, becoming completely humble, considering himself nothing, and the only thing he considered of any significance was his opportunity to serve Hashem, which means that if my opportunity is to serve Hashem by being intimate with my wife and bringing children to the world, that's the most exciting thing in the world. If my uh, uh, opportunity to serve Hashem is by not touching my wife, that's the most exciting thing in the world. Meaning that his celibacy, his not touching his wife, didn't give him suffering, but rather created pleasure. Now, Hashem doesn't ask that of anybody in the world. Only Moshe Rabbeinu was asked to do this. Because there was a unique relationship between Hashem and Moshe. But the point being is, is that the acts of suffering that your average person takes in order to, let's say, serve Hashem, whether it's fasting or praying a long time or standing up when they're learning or whatever it is, your average person will say, listen, I suffered a lot to do this, this, and this, but the tzaddikim, they enjoy it. Now, surely it has wear and tear on the body, and it's a, uh, but the, the pleasure that they have from serving Hashem, from connecting their neshama to Hashem, to His Torah, is so superior to it that it's as if the pain from everything else is inconsequential so when you have the tzaddik that is leading a generation who specifically wants this tzaddik to not be one that is looking for any type of credit any type of honor because a person who doesn't have the desire for credit, the desire for honor, for anything, since they want to serve Hashem, if a person says, no, I don't want any honor, but I want to make sure that my salary is very high. A real tzaddik is not only not looking for any credit, but he detests it. He doesn't understand what, what's, what does I have to do with anything. Why? Because the tzaddik desires to serve Hashem so much that he views everything that he's doing as simply fulfilling his own desires. Meaning, I'm fasting, I'm uh, you know learning, I'm writing, I'm this. Whatever he's doing, 
that is what gives him pleasure he is in essence that is his new desire that is his that is his only desire as Rav Tzion said about Rav Vadya Rav Vadya had no desires not for food not for this he has one desire learn Torah that's it only desire that he had so in essence when when you give someone that desires Torah someone that desires to be closer to Hashem and that's it and you talk to him about sex you talk to him about money you talk to him about honor you talk to him about you know reputation you talk to him about I don't know popularity it's not that they don't want it they don't have an idea what you're talking about they're so disconnected from it that are you sure you're talking to the right person no you're the biggest rabbi in a generation what are you talking about I'm just a simple Jew learning Torah that's what they're all gonna tell you because all that credit that the fools look for the ones that don't deserve credit look for the real tzaddikim don't even know what it has to do with them why because for them their desire is to serve Hashem and they're simply fulfilling their desire now sure that desire means they have to perfect their soul rid themselves of any connection to materialism to all of this other stuff and it's a lifelong uh, mission but nonetheless the when you when when a person is literally fulfilling their own desire and you want to give them credit for it like why I'm doing what I want why do I also deserve credit for it so the tzaddikim when they're serving Hashem when they're when they're thinking about all of these names when they're taking on these long fasts when they're uh, praying a uh, you know morning prayer for three hours when they're uh, you know not eating for several days and and studying Torah non-stop doing all types of things for Am Yisrael uh, the these people are doing what they desire to do while the rest of people that sometimes do some of those acts a person will take on themselves to fast once a week a person will take on themselves to study a few hours a day a person will take on themselves to let's say extend their prayer by an extra few minutes in reality in the beginning and for a while that person that's taking on those extra things he's suffering but he figures the suffering is worth it the, the pain is worth it it's worth it to suffer through another five or ten minutes of praying it's worth it to suffer to another hour of studying without talking about nonsense it's worth it to suffer without eating as often it's you know like they're taking it as suffering it's almost like the idol worshipers then it is like the tzaddikim the tzaddikim went through that whole motion and eventually got to a point where that what your average person views as suffering they view as pleasure not because it's pleasing the body it hurts the body but the pleasure that they get from serving a Baruch Hu is so significant that whatever pain is required to get there is as if it doesn't exist and this is the reason why there are multiple stories uh, about Rav Aaron Kotler alav shalom Rav Ovadia alav shalom and several other tzaddikim that needed to have life-saving surgeries uh, on them while they stayed awake and they were able to have these surgeries that 
on their back, on their lungs, on different body parts, like full cutting, full-blown surgeries, while they were learning Torah, with no anesthetic, with no shots, with no nothing. But they were learning Torah. And eventually, when they would tell them to uh, get their attention after the surgery was done, they tell them, okay, when are you going to start the surgery? What do you mean? We finished the surgery. We've been operating on you for 10 hours. No, come on, stop kidding me. Start the surgery. How, how is that humanly possible? Again, it's not humanly possible. It's tzaddik possible. So when you have those people, those tzaddikim, those, 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 those holy neshamot say something, whether it be the teachings of Kabbalah, Alacha, Gemara, whatever they say, versus the filth bottom of the barrel of the world, necromancers, idolaters, heretics, uh, uh, you know, ignoramuses, atheists, you realize why we are so aggressive against the latter. You know, because when you have the words of these holy people versus these impure people, you realize how much of a world of difference is between the two. Now again, Moshe Rabbeinu is, a, uh, uh, is named in the Torah because there's nobody, nobody's going to be like Moshe Rabbeinu as a prophet. But the 70 elders were not named. They were not named. Why? To, for us to know that somebody that's like the 70 elders could exist in every, in every generation. This is why we value and expect it to respect and honor the Chachamim. No less than we honor Hashem. Because that's His soldiers. That's His representatives. That's, those are the people that are doing everything that's humanly possible and not humanly possible for the sake of their servitude of Hashem and for the sake of loving Am Yisrael. So this is why certain people that connect to certain tzaddikim this is the reason why those tzaddikim have that uh, that ability to have so many people follow them. It's not because they're the greatest speakers, or because they are uh, uh, they wrote the, the 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 best books. Many times, their uh, most of their followers are not even aware of everything that they wrote and everything that they said. But they connect to the tzaddik. They connect spiritually to the tzaddik. And this is throughout all of the generations. This is why when you read uh, the 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 uh, the books of the Chachamim of previous generations, you connect to them. It's more than just knowledge. There's something spiritual there. And that Sadiq did something that your vast majority of the world, throughout all of the generations, were not willing to do it. For the sake of Hashem. Not for his own sake. For the sake of serving Hashem. Not for the sake of serving himself, of benefiting himself. And as much more we can say, uh, but, uh, you know, this is a, uh, a topic that, um, a person is, uh, not necessarily always going to connect to or even understand, but even Rabbi said to, uh, to his Talmudim to sometimes when they teach regular people to teach them something really, really complicated that they know for sure that the people are not going to understand just for the, for the people to know that, the Torah is not always uh, simple stories and uh, that everybody understands. There is some complicated stuff that you have to be a Talmud Chacham to know. 
One thing I can tell you is a, a good analogy uh, to understand the, at least the uh, part of the mentality of the tzaddikim is that when uh, you are in a good position mentally and, and spiritually, you say, oh, everything is for the good. Everything is for the good, right? Everything is for the good. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he uh, was asked by Tzipora, or told by Tzipora, thank you very much for saving our life, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say everything is for the good. That all these criminals came to you because everything is for the good. What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't thank me. Thank the Egyptian that I killed. Because he's the one that brought me here. What is the depth of that? Moshe Rabbeinu is telling her, me, I'm just a servant of Hashem. All I want to do is serve Hashem. When I saw that somebody is hurting one of the children of Hashem, it was impossible for me to stay quiet. And therefore, as part of my loving of Hashem, as my servitude of Hashem, my desire became to kill the Egyptian. Not because I want blood, but rather because I want to serve Hashem. And when I see that someone is hurting Hashem's children, in essence, causing sorrow to the Shekhinah, the new desire becomes to become this murderer. Which, of course, he killed him with using one of the names of Hashem, not actually hitting him with his hand or anything. But nonetheless, that was a desire. So, if it wasn't for the Egyptian that I killed, I wouldn't have had to flee Egypt. And I only had to flee Egypt because that will give me more time to serve Hashem. So, in reality... All I'm doing is serving Hashem. I'm fulfilling my only desire, which is to serve Hashem. So when I saw that those people are trying to kill you, rape you, drown you, and your sisters, and so on, my servitude of Hashem is what brought me to save your life. It wasn't like I had some desire to save humanity. It was part of my servitude of Hashem. So in reality, all I'm doing is fulfilling my deepest desire, which is to serve Hashem. So thanking me doesn't make any sense. If you want to thank anybody, thank the Egyptian that I killed because he's the one that started this whole path. As for me, I'm only here to serve Hashem. Now your average person sends $40 or $400 or $4,000 and they want you to dance in the middle of the street preaching their name. Rabbi, I think that you're going to be able to pay all of your expenses and Avrahim this month with me. Yeah, what, talk about what you win the lotto? Yeah, I just sent you $450, Rabbi. What do you think I live in? The middle of like the, 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 the jungle where my, my electric is provided by a bunch of monkeys? What are you talking about? But people think because they sent a few dollars, they figure that they're saving humanity with it. They want all the credit in the world. Rabbi, I don't understand. How come you don't send me any special letters? You know, I donated. So what if you donated? Am I here to 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 to, uh, to 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 call you because you donated? Like I'm not understanding. But then you know what? These aggravating things. Sometimes you'll check, and when you know you see who, what, when. Some of these people literally they live on a different planet. They tell people, "Oh yeah, I donate, I donate." You look at the actual record, you see that this person donated four years ago, eighteen dollars, but they still want to be paid for it. Four years later, with all of the honor in the world. Now, the amount doesn't even matter. It's just that people think that every little action that they do deserves an endless amount of praise. And unfortunately, the society of today 
teaches them as such where the average person goes to a competition guaranteed to win an award why participation award participation trophy loser generation of people that always win without actually winning this is the mentality of people and people expect this people expect more and more and whatever they do and you like somebody actually made some type of effort to do something aside from their norm they expect praises and honor for it for the rest of history as if this is the reward of heaven on the opposite end the real tzaddikim not only expect nothing in return when they get something they find it strange why why am i getting anything for this one of the chachamim in the gemara is shown his is is, is, is speaking to an angel says show me my uh, where do i go now in the next world says over here he goes yeah but what is all this he says this is all your reward because me i'm gonna get all of this i thought i'm gonna get nothing it's not that he thought he was wicked he figured that whatever he had in the world was so good so delicious the Torah that he had the connection to Hashem was so good that's already more than enough how are you giving me even more heaven and worlds your average person today is expecting heaven and worlds and and a successful portfolio and successful marriage and successful divorce too sometimes and successful everything for what for the little bit of good they did at some point that in reality was just them fulfilling their own desire the tzaddik on the other hand his desire is to serve Hashem that's his desire and a reward is something they can't connect to credit for who this is the difference it's a world of difference therefore Moshe Rabbeinu is asked is told thank you doesn't connect to it thank the Egyptian he's the one that started all this thank the Egyptian this is why the Chachamim say this is why Tzipora when she told her father that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu saved them said we were saved by an Egyptian to teach us to save by the Egyptian said so what is the Egyptian the Egyptian not Moshe Rabbeinu is the Egyptian the Egyptian in Egypt that, that Moshe Rabbeinu killed we were saved by the Egyptian that's that's the lesson here that's the lesson here now again all of what I'm saying to you maybe you can take one percent of one percent of it two percent of it five percent of it whatever it is but it's good to know where we stand versus where the tzaddikim are where our holy Torah is all aspects of it all parts of it with the oral Torah written Torah Kabbalah mystical uh Alacha Gemara everything where that is versus where the lies heresy uh, idolatry is it's important to identify the, the the truth and separate it as far as possible from the lie to be able to distinguish it between uh, just like you distinguish a gold to sand just like you distinguish uh food versus filth like you have to be able to distinguish the holy torah from the lies the heresy the idolatry the garbage of the world the distortions even if they come by usage of torah verses by rabbis by people that pretend to be holy you have a, such a clarity on the holiness of the torah on what good really is 
versus fake falsehood garbage that to you it is no different than identifying the difference between filth that comes out of bodies versus delicious food that you eat for Shabbat just like you would never make a mistake in those you should never be able to make a mistake in those and the key is to aspire each and every day by using by using our forefathers our teachers our sages as something to aspire to be something to aspire to be work as hard do as much as you can now again everybody has to know where they stand they have to be honest with themselves but it's important for us to know that none of us none of us are anywhere near graduation or 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 anywhere near these levels that i'm discussing but it is important for us to to know that they exist because when we hear the names of the sages without knowing who they are sometimes it's hard to accept what they say because what they say is harsh and it's against our desires against our animalist animalism it's against our, our 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 filth but when we realize who's saying what they're saying automatically is a different weight automatically is a different weight it's 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 automatic if I hear that Moshe Rabbeinu said this and I just heard what I heard about Moshe Rabbeinu automatically is a different weight oh he's the one that said it oh okay that's right wait but just five minutes ago you were arguing tooth and nail yeah because I thought it was your idea I didn't know Moshe Rabbeinu said it once I know Moshe Rabbeinu said okay fine I'm gonna argue with Moshe Rabbeinu I mean I, I maybe I'm arrogant I'm saying yeah but I'm not stupid I'm not gonna argue with Moshe Rabbeinu the same goes with all the tzaddikim and needless to say with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. when a person understands who is his creator and that his creator is the one that put this Torah in the world there's no place for 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 arguing there's no place there's no place for it so that's the thing important for us to know what's the truth what's falsehood and as much as possible to know where uh where uh the tzaddikim we're able to uh to stand and uh where we may be able to uh aspire to at least to get parts of, parts of it uh jack's asking uh, oh you asked the question i asked the whole year about oh okay you inspired me to have part of this year uh also you get death penalty of breaking shabbat but sleeping with the sister you get karet uh death penalty too say uh it's not uh it's not a uh, any less there's a uh, death penalty for uh for a lot of things for a lot of things uh sometimes it's death penalty by the bedin sometimes it's death penalty by uh hashem and uh don't think for a moment that death penalty by the bedin is uh, necessarily always worse than uh, death penalty by hashem because death penalty by hashem is uh is, is is multiple things number one it means that the person is a uh, not going to survive uh to see a long life they'll li- they'll die before the age of 60 some say before the age of 50. that's number one number two they'll have major losses during their life where even their children will die during their lifetime and the Gemara says that's the worst uh punishment that a person can get during his life is to see his own children die uh so the death penalty uh includes that and a lot of uh, other uh, uh, interesting uh, disasters uh, that come to a person's life. 
So it's a uh, not you know nothing in the Torah is uh, is, is is simple uh, black and white and uh, you know there's there's always uh, intricate details for why everything is what it is uh, and you can be sure that uh, everything is perfect exactly where it needs to be uh, and uh, how it needs to be. Sam is asking according to Kohelet chapter four verse two and three. Does that mean there is Jews or non-Jews born for the first time and not reincarnated? Uh, there are there are neshamot. Yes, there are neshamot that come into the world. They're not as common, but there are neshamot that come into the world. Um, and uh, but the vast majority of people are reincarnations. Are reincarnations. Uh, Moshe is asking, when Moshe Rabbeinu gets resurrected during the resurrection of the dead, will he still be the only one that can communicate with Hashem like two people are talking? Uh, technically, nobody would ever be able to communicate with Hashem like Moshe Rabbeinu. Not before and not after. Nothing. Nobody else. Uh, but of course, you know, it's a, uh, not everybody's going to be able to talk to Hashem the same way either. You know, it's everybody is all depends on what they uh, did in their life. Steve, is one allowed to redeem points earned from a credit card, considering the points earned are from uh, businesses being purchased? Uh, I know some businesses don't accept points. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, the the company that is a uh, credit card company that is uh, giving the points is taking into consideration that. Uh, you know, not always the users of the card are going to be the ones that actually benefit from the points. They take that into account. Uh, just like uh, companies that offer uh, different campaigns where if you do such and such, you'll get, you know, X amount of stuff for free. You'll get $10 free. You'll get $50 free. Uh, you know, and, and they know that some people are going to double dip, if you will. And they take that into account. And uh, they know that some people that, will turn their uh, free service into a, uh, you know, a permanent service. And, you know, they know, they take all of this into account. And uh, generally speaking, the companies do not exert uh, energy to go chase after those people. It's only if those, if those people end up making money off of their back, like, for example, the guy that uh, was sent to jail after a, uh, you know, a trial against Microsoft for uh, copying their software with the logo and, and, and in essence, uh, uh, installing it in the computers that he built, which in essence gave him a, uh, uh, you know, a, a financial uh, benefit from it. So he is the, probably the only guy that ever, you know, copied Microsoft software that Microsoft ever went after. There are endless amount of people that provide Microsoft and other software company stuff for free. They're all in the wrong. You're not allowed to take that stuff from companies. But if you're not the one that took it and you're benefiting from it, it's not viewed favorably from Shemaim. But as far as the law of the land and things like that, there's no problem uh, really because you're not really stealing. You're just benefiting from it. And even uh, if a person uh, looks at it halachically, it's really not prohibited. You're not the one that's stealing. But it's not, it's not a good thing to do. Either way... It's a, uh, we see from there that the vast majority of people that uh, take advantage of the so-called uh, 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 benefits or whatever, these different uh, uh, plans that these companies offer and take advantage of them a lot more than what they should, 
Companies typically do not uh, go after them legally. If you uh, take software from a company, typically companies will not go after you. Uh, and from there, we know that if, if let's say somebody double dips, it's a, uh, or not even double dips, if somebody simply benefits, like what you're saying, uh, of something that he didn't actually do, he just acquired these points indirectly, the company doesn't care. They already took that into account when they created that plan. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's always important to be, uh, to comply with the law of the land, uh, so long as the law of the land does not contradict the Torah. Uh, but uh, if the uh, law of the land is a, uh, allowing you to do certain things, it's, uh, again, it's a, uh, you have to always double check if that contradicts the Torah. But as long as it doesn't contradict the Torah, by all means, you can do it. Okay, one or two more questions, then we're done. Um, Philly's asking, I recently spoke with my cousin, and I told him everything Hashem does is for the good. He responded, what was so good about the Holocaust? How can I effectively reply? I tried to bring him to Chuva. Please advise. Uh, this is too big of a question for the average person to answer, uh, because the answer to that question requires reconstructing his, his, his knowledge of what is truth, what is false, what is the purpose of this world, uh, and who's the one that's running it. So I would not recommend uh, you addressing it directly. I would recommend sending him shiurim about it. We have on my uh, channel, we have a um, playlist called Holocaust Research. And over there, there are several shiurim that uh, I discussed the Holocaust and not where was God during the Holocaust, but where were the Jews before the Holocaust? Meaning, what did the Jews do in order to earn, uh, you know, the Holocaust as, uh, as the punishment? Uh, so a person that looks at the Holocaust from the eyes of a secular person is never going to understand anything that I'm going to say. Like, for example, I'll tell you it was good because it was for the sake of the survival of the Jewish people. Now, the average person would think that I'm insane because six million Jews were murdered in cold blood, and I'm telling you that the Holocaust was for the sake of the survival of the Jewish people. That if it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the Holocaust, there wouldn't be a Jewish people today. Now, your average person that thinks from a secular mindset will think that is insane. But in reality, if a person understands the halachic ramifications of intermarriage and understands that the intermarriage uh, rate uh, at that time of uh, preceding the Holocaust was at all-time highs. Uh, you had literally uh, in certain parts of the world, like Germany, almost 90% intermarriage. People literally marrying non-Jews, Jews marrying non-Jews regularly, and even converting to Christianity and Catholicism by the dozens. Uh, you know, many of the people that uh, lived during that time started the uh, Messianic movement of today. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's not, uh, something that's truly behind us. It's something that we're still suffering from today. And if it wasn't for the Holocaust, uh, then the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the situation would have continued to deteriorate until there would be no more Jews. So quite frankly, the Holocaust is what saved Am Yisrael, just like what the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash did, the first one, the second one, and all of the other disasters that Hashem has brought to the world throughout all of history, it wasn't for the sake of destroying Am Yisrael, but rather as a way to preserve it, as a way to preserve it, because we were not protecting ourselves, we were self-destructing, and if it wasn't for a harsh act by Hashem to remind us of our Jewishness uh, and how precious that is, 
that we would have actually lost it. Uh, so this is similar to somebody having a, uh, a major uh, problem in one of their uh, organs or let's say having a uh, diabetes in their legs and the, uh, the doctors after doing all of the uh, things they possibly can do say that your only option right now is to cut off your leg. Now, of course, nobody wants to cut off their leg, needless to say, two legs or, and arms, but they still do it. Why do they do it? Because they say, listen, it's better to cut off your leg and keep you alive than not cut off your leg, but you'll be alive, but you'll be dead, but with, with two legs. Dead, but with two legs. So sometimes you have to cut off and, and cause a, a lot of pain in order to preserve the main, uh, the, the main thing. Uh, and that's what Hashem did throughout all of history. So if a person thinks about the, uh, uh, the survival of the nation uh, and for us to remain Jews, then he'll see all of the tragedies that have happened throughout all of history from the right set of lenses. But if a person thinks that we're in this world to enjoy ourselves, we're in this world to be uh, uh, like the nations, then, uh, then a person is clearly going to see everything as the opposite of what it really is. Arishka is asking, if a Jewish family lives in a huge building where the majority of the residents are not Jewish, can they use hot water on Shabbat? No. No, they cannot. This is a takana of the sages where even if the uh, hot water uh, was uh, preheated before Shabbat, uh, like it was done in Tveria, Tiberias, back in those days, it was still forbidden to, uh, to, to be used for uh, and so on. So no, can't use hot water on Shabbat. Can Ashkenazi person eat in a Sephardic house during Pesach? And can he eat kitniyot if it's served? How does that work? Now, technically, you're supposed to uh, uh, keep the uh, traditions of your uh, forefathers. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ashkenazim, if they were brought up in such a way where they're not eating kitniyot, then for them to eat kitniyot would be problematic. Now, is it chametz? No, it's not chametz, but it is uh, violating the tradition of your forefathers. So, uh, you know, a person has to, uh, you know, uh, check with, uh, first of all, how they grew up, uh, what tradition do they really have? I mean, if, they, you know, some people are practicing uh, Sephardi Judaism or Ashkenazi Judaism, but they're converts, or they're Baal Tshuva, and they're, you know, two, three generations, nobody did anything. I even have, uh, you know, students that uh, were, uh, you know, Ashkenazim, but they're, uh, you know, under my guidance, and Rabbi Ephraim living a Sephardi life. Why? Because their tradition is non-existent. They are the tradition. Their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents didn't keep anything. So they're literally the, uh, the you know, the, they, they come from Ashkenazi root, but there is no real tradition. So for them to keep the Sephardi alachot and, and everything else, and customs, is perfectly fine. But if a person grew up in a frum house, and there is a tradition there, and their father did teach them not to eat kitniot, then it's problematic. Problematic. I can't say it's chametz, but it is problematic. Uh, you have to. Uh, you can't give that uh, answer as a uh, as a public uh, announcement. Put it that way. Uh, you know, you can't give that. Uh, tell people you could just disregard the customs of your uh, ancestors because every case has to be evaluated uh, specifically. And, uh, you know, it's not, 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 not all things are the same here. Do carrots exist today? Are they considered Jews at all? Uh, there are stupid people in the world that consider themselves carrots. Uh, I, uh, I, there are, they do exist. Their stupidity 
is nothing new. Uh, there, uh, there are all types of stupid people born in every generation. Uh, and, um, you know, and some people actually uh, think that it's despite the Rambam and uh, Rabbi Yudah Levi and the Kuzari and, and, and uh, many Chachamim completely destroying all uh, premises that, I, uh, how, that, that, that would give any Karite a reason to exist, still people insist that they want to be different. They want to be different. They want to keep the so-called written law only as if it's even possible. Uh, you know, so yeah, dumb people are always going to exist until Mashiach comes. But you don't have to be a Karite to be dumb. Secular, uh, atheist, uh, idolater, heretic, a Manus Friedman, a Y.Y. Jacobson fan. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of stupidity out there and idolatry and heresy. And you could even find uh, rabbis in the world that uh, co-produce uh, uh, shows and events and videos with, uh, with the, uh, you know, the idolatrous nations and the, the Christian world and invite them into synagogues. So there's no shortage of stupidity in the world. That is not new. And uh, unfortunately, that is not going away anytime soon until the Mashiach comes, where he's going to uproot it all from the well of his Hashem. Last question. Last question. Uh, God is asking, God Singson is asking, regarding selling chametz, is it required to sell the chametz of the kitchen utensils which are not to be used during Pesach? Which I usually put them on the uh, in the closet after washing them, uh, but without uh, agala. Ah, okay. Very, very good question. Very important question. Okay, you have uh, multiple things when it comes to alacha of chametz. Number one, you have the chametz that you're not going to eat and is not sellable. Okay, you have open canisters of ketchup, open canisters of I don't know uh, uh, different cookies, uh, packages of the. No one would buy that food. Therefore, that stuff you have to burn. Okay, you have to burn it the uh, the night of a, uh, the the morning, but it's the eve of uh, of Pesach. Okay, the first night you have to look for chametz, find whatever you find. Then the next day you uh, you have to burn the chametz that is not sellable. Then you have the sellable chametz. Sellable chametz is expensive stuff that is literally sellable. That if you really were to sell it, if it's a closed package. Of, I don't know any type of ingredients never been opened if it's uh, you know expensive liquor if it's a closed packages of all types of food you know that is literally sellable then that is something you sell to the uh, the Gentile you have to ha- do it through a rabbi don't do it yourself there are a lot of complicated alachot when it comes to selling chametz don't be stupid and think that you're doing it. You can do it just as good as the rabbi. You can't. If you fail, you are violating the Torah of owning uh, chametz on Pesach. Okay, so it's, it's, it's multiple sins. So sell it through a Talmit Chacham that knows what he's doing, uh, that has a program. There are many, many organizations that, uh, that do it. Uh, your local community surely does the, the rabbi does it. There is the uh, uh, Lakewood uh, Bedin has a uh, website that talks about it. There's plenty of places uh, that do it. Now, you sell the chametz. So that's the chametz, only the chametz that is sellable. But what about your utensils, your, your pots, your pans, your, uh, your forks and knives? You're not allowed to sell them. You do not sell them. Now, you're not allowed to use them because they, they were used for chametz, but you're not allowed to sell them. Why? Because if you sell them to a goy, 
then you're going to have once something is owned by a goy, uh, utensils are owned by a goy and a jew takes ownership of it he has to bring it to the mikveh so if you sell your utensils to the gentile then after pesach you're gonna have to take all of your utensils to the mikveh again now unless you want that headache for some reason or another and you have nothing to do with your time surely you, you could avoid it so what do you do with your pots and prints and all that stuff put it in a closet and don't use it now there's an alaka what about the taste there's a taste that is uh absorbed by those utensils that taste is not edible that taste that that taste is not uh something that you can sell that's not taste that you can acquire that's not a taste that you have to be concerned over so allahically speaking it's something that uh, is just for the sake of uh intellectual stimulation but there's nothing to do with it as far as there's no selling it there's no cleaning it there's no nothing it's a uh the those pots and pans that have that taste from all the non uh uh the uh um the chametz food that you've used during a year that's not a problem uh so this that's not a uh, a reason to sell those pots and pans uh and and again like i said if you sell those pots and pans you will have to take them all to the mikveh at the end of the holiday you have to take them to the mikveh at the end of the holiday so uh only sell food not pots and pans and utensils uh but make sure that the uh, food that you sell is in a separate part of your house that no one is going to enter no one is going to use don't be uh, uh, one of these people that for whatever reason or another thinks that uh, this is okay where you're going to have one section of the refrigerator or one section of the food closet for kosher food that's for pesach and one section of the uh, refrigerator and the closet for uh, not kosher for pesach not allowed they have to be separated and the place where you put the non-kosher food for pesach that you sold it has to be locked with a key if possible or at least taped where everyone that goes and sees it automatically does not have to be someone that lives there automatically knows this is not a place that you enter this is not for uh, for, for, for public use this is not for use at this point it has to be either locked or at least with some tape that everyone will remember and not have even an opportunity to fail of actually opening it and perhaps even taking one of the wafers and opening it and then you have in chametz karet on pesach so the food you burn or you sell if it's sellable not if it's sellable because you're cheap you know some people say oh listen i have uh, this ketchup i mean three quarters full i mean i don't know if i could sell for full price rabbi but i could probably get somebody to buy it no that's not sellable that's garbage no that's being wasteful it's not being wasteful it's a mitzvah it's a mitzvah remember this is not the time to pick and choose uh playing games with Hashem you know people for whatever reason or another they have no problem spending five thousand dollars on tires no problem spending half a million a million dollars on houses but when it comes to that soda bottle or 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 thirty dollar wine or uh or, or ketchup or a pack of uh, cookies or chocolate oh I don't want to be wasteful stop it with the nonsense remember if it's sellable because it's new then meaning it's in still in its original form that or it's really expensive like it's a let's say I don't know a, a bottle of uh, special liquor that's out $300 a bottle or something brand new but it's let's say three quarters full that you can keep because even three quarters full is still expensive but a half a pack of sugar uh, not sugar of of uh, of uh, wheat uh, a barley or something like that that's not uh, that's not new that goes in the fire 
that goes on the fire you can't sell that the only things you could sell are things that are new uh you know it's it's only th- it's, it's it's important for a person to not be stingy when it comes to the holidays because this this in itself is a servitude of hashem this in itself is a servitude of hashem get yourself the best meat the best chicken the best food for pesach the best uh everything the best everything uh, says go borrow for, uh, on my name i'll pay for it you have to have emunah that Kadosh Baruch is going to pay for everything don't be stingy when it comes to matzah get the best matzah get the best everything why Kadosh Baruch Hu is 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 worth it he's the one that's giving us the money anyway so but again you have to know the halachot and not uh just be uh, uh uh careless about certain things and just like oh no you know really who am i going to sell it to it's just a procedure the guy that's buying it doesn't even live here don't do stuff like that rabbi said you have to sell it sell it the uh the rabbi that you're selling it to is in lakewood you're in uh, i don't know you're in uh, texas no problem it's still logically fine it's still logically fine there's no problem with it do it follow it and uh, oh side note i don't know if i'm ever gonna remember to do this uh so since you're already asking a pesach question for those of you that uh smoke the vapes vapor okay or smoke cigarettes cigarettes Allah is they're kosher for pesach then you don't need, need special kashrut you don't need to get a special cigarettes even though it's not healthy for you but still you don't need to get a special cigarettes for pesach for uh, uh you know uh, but when it comes to the vapes the vapor it has flavoring so people have questions does the flavoring I mean does it need kashrut technically it has flavoring anything that you do not eat or drink you won't consume it and even a dog wouldn't consume it does not need kashrut meaning your toothpaste does not need kashrut your uh vapor liquid does not need kashrut uh their 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 cream does not need to be kashrut but if you have kashrut is available and you want to be stringent then you can there are chachamim like Rav Erbach, for example who paskin that the vape liquid should have kashrut because it does have a flavor but doesn't he have the kashrut does have the kashrut that's a stringent to have the vape liquids with kashrut is possible it does exist but that's a stringency you want to bring a stringency on yourself fine but don't tell the whole world that you are more stringent you could do it for yourself if you want but that's again it's not required same thing with a, uh, some of these other things they sell in the stores uh, if you are smart and you know a lot of Torah and you want to be more stringent in yourself it's easy for you to be stringent by all means do it but if it's going to cause you financial hardship slumbite problems you have no idea what you're talking about you're just buying the kosher toothpaste because you make you think it makes you more religious don't do anybody any favors buy the regular toothpaste and you'll be fine there are certain things that need kashrut there are certain things that don't need kashrut and it's important for a person to know the there is a list on our website uh of things that need it don't need it and so on from previous years those those lists generally don't change very much if we have a new one uh coming up I'll, I'll i'll publicize it but generally speaking the one that we already have on our ebook section is more than fine but uh again it's important for people to know that there are certain things that uh, uh do need kashrut and uh you you need to be very careful you need to be very very careful with them uh baby food needs to have kashrut N- baby food needs to have kashrut uh, for pesach uh my you know my personal recommendation for people that have babies is to feed them the israeli brand called materna 
Matana is not only uh, have kashrut uh, even throughout all year round, but it also comes from Chalav Yisrael, and it's very, very good. It's very healthy for the baby. It's much better than the junk they have in all these other uh, companies. Uh, we raised our kids on Materna, and we've used a lot of different things. Materna, it's, a, it's available in most kosher stores, or you can buy it online, I'm sure. But the point is, is that that's a, uh, it, your baby has to have kosher for Pesach uh, food. Uh, a, uh, your uh, your uh, animals they're not allowed to have uh, pizza sandwiches on, on Pesach you have to be careful with this so I have I have classes about uh, Pesach from previous years I highly recommend people watching it but these are a couple of things that I had in my mind uh, that I told you thank you again for learning with me we got to three hours today more than uh, more than traditionally we do on this the stump the rabbi hopefully you guys got something out of it and uh, hopefully we uh, did what we tried to do which is to get people closer to Hashem. Hopefully we get closer to Hashem. Baruch Adonai Lo'olam. Amen ve'amen. Shalom v'chach, haverim yikarim. The Pesach is among us. Of course, everyone understands the dire situation in the world. But from our perspective, the most uh, tragic situation right now is that we have tens and tens of millions of dollars going to foreign countries to help uh, some people that may or may not be uh, uh, our friends and our brothers, may or may not be Jewish, while our own brothers that are, you know, verified our brothers in our backyard, in, in, in Eretz Israel, in the Frum communities, in Bnei Brak, in Tel Zion, in Yerushalayim, in Netanya, in, in, in literally every part of Eretz Yisrael are struggling uh, to make uh, ends meet with the skyrocketing inflation in Eretz Yisrael, uh, with the uh, abuse by the government and uh, more than anything else by the lack of concern of uh, some of the uh, donors that are out there where a lot of money is going to help Ukraine and help uh, a lot of other causes while the uh, world of Torah and the world of uh, poverty continues to get worse. So we had to take uh, desperate measures in these desperate times and uh, anyone that saw my shield saw that we, uh, we did it uh, just in the last 24 hours. We, uh, you know, we don't have millions of dollars, we had a few hundred thousand dollars in the account and we simply took almost all of it and $250,000. Uh, we sent it to Rami Levy. Uh, supermarkets to buy the gift cards uh, this is the contract with Rami Levy this is the uh, wire transfer we have to do two wires to save some money from the banks but uh, the point is is that uh, this is enough to uh, feed uh, I don't know probably uh, 8,000 people 10,000 people give or take uh, and uh, we have we haven't started a campaign we haven't raised a single dollar we don't even know if anybody's gonna help all we know is that our brothers don't have money to eat matzah, to buy matzah, uh, to, 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 to buy the, the basic needs for Pesach. Um, and uh, some of them work, some of them uh, work and learn. Uh, literally, the struggling is coming from everywhere. So we figured that in order to show Hashem that we love Him and uh, you know, that to show Him that we love His children too, we had to do something that uh, was necessary. As, as part of our love of Hashem, as part of our love of His people. If you want to be partners with us, you're more than welcome to. The campaign is on bhpesach.org. As I said, I already sent the money. Uh, if you want to be part of it, you're more than welcome to. If we get more 
then what we uh, already uh, uh, sent, surely we'll send that too. Uh, if we don't get anything, then at least we know that uh, close to 10,000 Jews are going to be able to eat. Either way, you never lose out by doing a mitzvah, and at the very least, uh, we're able to uh, have the merit to do so. Uh, we'd love to see you as our partners, uh, as some of you have in the past, and Bezad Hashem will continue to help Am Yisrael both spiritually and physically in any way that we can. Baruch Adonai Lo'olam, Amen Amen. חי ואחותה היקרים, אנחנו נמצאים כמה ימים לפני חג הפסח של שנת תשפ"ב. אנחנו נמצאים, כולנו, כל עם ישראל, בתקופה מאוד 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 לא פשוטה. לא רק שזה אחרי הקורונה ואחרי כל הסכנות שהיו וחשש ההידבקויות הנוראות, התחילה תקופה של פיגועים בארץ ישראל. צערנו התקיים בנו הפסוק, מחוץ תשקל חרב ומחדרים אימה. אנשים מפחדים לצאת לעבוד, אנשים חוששים. כלל גדול לימדו אותנו חז"ל, ותפילה ותשובה וצדקה מעבירים את רוע הגזירה. יש לכם הזדמנות כאן לבוא ולעזור למשפחות נזקקות, משפחות של בני תורה, משפחות של אנשים צדיקים וישרים, שארגון בעזרת השם החליט לבוא ולעזור להם לחגוג את הפסח כבני חורין. בואו והצטרפו אל הזכות הגדולה הזאת, והזכות שלכם בוודאי תעמוד לכם, ו... להגן עליכם ולשמור עליכם ועל כל אחד ואחת מבני משפחותיכם בכלל כל עם ישראל. כל הצדקה שנתרמת לארגון בעזרת השם הולכת מאה אחוז לנזקקים. אין עמלות, אין אחוזים, אין כלום. הכל הולך לנזקקים שיקנו אוכל ויוכלו לחגוג את חג הפסח בשמחה ובניצה. אהוביי, ההזדמנות הזאת היא הזדמנות מיוחדת שהקדוש ברוך הוא גלגל לידיכם. אל תעמדו מנגד, עלו על העגלה בדרך אל הגאולה. תודה רבה.